Hi, uh, this is Darren here, and I'm joined by Andrew. Hello, hi. Um, so very, very quickly, just doing a quick intro in front of our podcast. Last year, Andrew and I did a very insane thing for a very good cause, uh, where we recorded an 18-hour live podcast to support the Irish Cancer Society for Daffodil Day. That's right. Um, Huge day um, each year for the Irish Cancer Society, where a very, a very large portion of their fundraising happens that day. Now, yeah. this year, of course... It's a little bit different. Yes, this year it's been cancelled. Um, it's been estimated that they raised about €4 million Euro, uh, through Daffodil Day to account for 20% of their annual budget. They only receive 3% of their funding from the state. They're usually dependent on this. Um, COVID-19 crisis has meant that they've had to cancel and suspend this year's Daffodil Day. And the implications are huge. It's a charity that is very close to my heart, very close to Andrew's heart. Yeah, um, we both know people who have had or who, who have um, a, a cancer and people who've suffered from it. And the services the Irish Cancer Society provide are, are kind of immeasurable in terms of improving quality of life and improving awareness and supporting um, as well. So what we would like to request from listeners, um, and again, completely understand, um, if not, but just to, to raise awareness of it, if you do have a little bit of money and if you do enjoy the podcast, even if you don't enjoy the podcast, but also have a little bit of money, um, we would like to recommend that maybe you make a donation uh, to the Irish Cancer Society to help make up the difference. Um, every little helps. So you can donate uh, directly at cancer.ie, which is the website. Uh, but you can also donate via text if you're based in Ireland um, as well. And if you text the word cancer uh, to 50300, that number again is 50300. And that will make a couple of euro donation uh, to the Irish Cancer Society. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time and we hope you enjoy. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Hello, Darren. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And we have three very special guests joining us oh, this Darren, week. Oh, so... Darren, really? How are you? Where, <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> Don't turn it into a catchphrase where you just say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. This, this. <laughs> the listeners want to know. It's been a while since anybody's really asked me that question, Andrew. And so I'm going to do what anybody in that situation would do, which is evade desperately. And welcome our three guests, because we have three spectacular guests joining us this week. Uh, we have Charlene Lydon from Ellen Pictures and the Lighthouse. How are you? How are you? We have Rena Knigregor, um, film director. How are you? Hello. How's it going? And we have Eva Barry from The Drill. How are you, Eva? I'm not too bad. How are you? Ah, good. And we're discussing a very special film this week. We Last also have week, drinks. We do. We do also... It is a French movie, and I, I think we're all a... <laughs> so. welcome to drinks to the, to the podcast as well. Okay, so we have very wine, welcome guests. We have water, we have wine, and we have wine. So we'll see if we can get that converted for you, Rena. Oh, fantastic! Uh, maybe the maybe the Christian voice, young Christian voice movement can yeah, help with that one. Student Christian um, movement, which has invaded my phone mysteriously, can totally totally get on that. That would be great. Um, but yes, so we are here. Um, last week we said we'd be discussing Gangs of Wazipur. We also said that our schedule be erratic and prone to change. So we're not discussing Gangs of Wazipur. We're actually discussing Celine Siama's 2019 Cannes Film Festival premiering, a French period lesbian love story. 
Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, which premiered at Cannes last year. Um, it won the Best Screenplay Award. It also won the uh, Palm, sorry, the, is it Palm Queer? Is that what they call it? Palm Queer, the, yeah. Palm Queer. The, it won the Palm Queer Award as well. It went the festival circuit. It went on wide release here, I think, in early January, maybe early February. Late February. Um, late February. Yeah. Um, and as a result of the coronavirus, it's gone streaming relatively early. So it's currently, if you're listening in the States, you can stream it on Hulu, uh, a, a subscription service for free. If you're based in Ireland or the UK, you can watch it on Curzon or Artificial Eyes uh, and rent it for, I think, about nine euro as well, if you want to watch along with us. Um, and for this discussion, uh, we decided that we'd invite on um, Aoife, uh, Renak and Charlene to kind of talk through this film because it's... An interesting film. It's a film that I was watching for a little while because, again, every once in a while there's an independent film release that I'm kind of like, is this going to make the list or is it not going to make the list? It's kind of circling around 8.1, 8.2. And interestingly enough, again... Can I can I, can I I make a guess? Like, uh, ba- based on based on the, the, the way the IMDb 250 behaves, did this just come in for a very short time and then a whole lot of men realized it was there? And, and got rid of it. Or... <laughs> the moonlight effect, as we call it. The little women effect, yeah. as we also call it. No, this is what's startling about this. As we're recording, it is still in the 250, and it's still holding strong. It's number 226. It entered at 225. has been caught in, and again, maybe this is kind of says something about the, the cliche of the INV 250, but it's caught in a constant push and pull battle where day in and day out, it's either higher or lower than Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden. So I like that I am to be. I was just going to ask. Yeah, maybe maybe it's okay if if a kind of a a, a, a woman centric kind of movie is um, is a sort of a um, a sexy woman centric movie. I don't know. I think it might make a difference. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but again it's kind of interesting in terms of cliches of the list because again it is very much like yes we can have two period centric lesbian love stories but they absolutely have to be at the same point of the list and possibly (laughs) places on occasion as well Um, but can we talk about this so you guys when did you guys first see uh, Portrait of Lady on Fire like I mean did you guys see it on the festival circuit Uh, did you see it kind of when it began award screening or did you have to wait for the release in February to see it so um, Charlene Uh, I saw it in Cannes last year uh, I can't remember whether I got to see it. At, I didn't get to see it at a fancy screening, <laughs> unfortunately. You, um, uh, you, so you mean you were in sort of the big auditorium with the kind of the, is it the white and yellow and pink tickets that they have? Where they yeah, have exactly. Seating. So I wasn't uh, in one of those screenings. I was just in a normal screening. You get those in Wonka bars. Do you? <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> All year round, you just have to buy Wonka bars. <laughs> and eventually you get admitted to a can screening. Yeah. But like, when you saw it, what was your immediate reaction to it? Did you have a sense of... Because it was a film that had very strong reactions coming out of Cannes. Obviously, it was perhaps somewhat overshadowed by the eventual Palme d'Or Best Foreign Film and Best Picture and Best Director winner, Parasite, which was kind of one of the, the highlights of the festival. But Portrait of a Lady on Fire generated a great deal of attention. Did you know when you saw it that you'd seen kind of something special? Was it a highlight of the festival for you? Or kind of was it just, you know... How, how did it fit in in the context of seeing it in a rush with all those movies? It was definitely one of the films of the festival that I liked the most. But like I personally didn't get that like thrill that I got from seeing Parasite or something like that. But that's kind of more of a personal taste thing as well. Um, I do think it was just so beautiful. And it's one of those films that you kind of don't really want it to end and you just want to watch it forever, which is a massive compliment. Uh, but it didn't make me cry, <laughs> which is... <laughs> which is the uh, the bar by which I, I 
I judge everything. Did 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 not. Didn't no. Okay. Didn't I didn't come <laughs> close at all. Like listeners can imagine Andrew with a little pen and paper here, just marking sort of X. <laughs> yeah, Charlene comments. has no heart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, what about yourself, Renok? When did you see it, and did it make you cry? Uh well, I I was also in Cannes. I saw it in a afternoon screening, um, in that big palais, like very, very, very far up at the back as well. Um, if I did cry, it was possibly because I was hungover and feeling, <laughs> uh, very, very fragile at the time, and uh, was just uh exhausted from a couple of days of staying up late and drinking. But uh, also it did move me a lot. I remember thinking, um, and I didn't have the opportunity to see Parasite in Cannes, that this felt like a forerunner for the Palme d'Or at the time because it just seemed to fit so many. It just seemed to move so many people and it was so universally um, uh, appreciated and liked uh, at the time. And there was that buzz around it. Um, I think it took me longer to feel affected by it, that it wasn't until I saw it again, um, how much I had been thinking about it since I'd seen it the first time and how it kind of crept in under the skin that way. And I, I like films that do that and I don't it was just such a really strong year at Cannes as well that it just didn't um, uh, it didn't land the first time the way something like Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse just kind of like slapped you in the face with a seagull when you saw it first. But, uh... <laughs> I do like, by the way, the idea of, oh, sorry, a portrait of a lady on fire as like the evil twin of The Lighthouse, where it's basically it's a bunch of people trapped on an island together, except it's not a Lovecraftian nightmare. Yeah, they just they fall in love instead. Yeah, yeah, it's like this is what happens when when women are alone on an island together, and this is what happens when men are alone on an island together. I like that. They make art and have orgasms. And... <laughs> they, they, I, I found like parts of the lighthouse were kind of unrealistic. Like the amount of time it took them to turn on each other. <laughs> yeah, as we know now, being in self isolation with someone, you know, it, it, yeah. it takes a lot they, quite a shorter yeah. time. They really, really went for it, though. So, you know, <laughs> they did. Made up for lost time. Yeah, That's I love it too. Can I ask, Greenock, actually, you mentioned there the gap that existed between the kind of first screening and second screening when it stayed with you. How long was that gap? Was it with you? Was it months? Was it like practically a year to the actual cinematic release? How long was this with you in terms of kind of assessing? It the was the, the it wasn't until late February that I got wow. to see it. So that was, okay. you know, that's well like uh, nine months or so um between seeing it initially. Um but it, it had been it had been kind of sinking into my head and I, I've been thinking about it a lot since I'd seen it the first time. And um like just I I gotten a copy of the script as well and been reading it and um it, it was sort of nice to see the anticipation for the film and then when it came out to see the response that it had with um with, you know people that wouldn't have normally have gotten to see it if it had just been another can festival darling that maybe didn't get the release that it got and it wouldn't have had the reaction it would have had with um with finding an audience of that scale so it was kind of nice to see it again with uh, a bigger audience and a couple of friends and to anticipate what their reactions were which were um quite favorable yes because it's actually mm. a massive uh, success like again parasite gained a lot of attention obviously in terms of boutique box office over the kind of past couple of months in the lead up to the oscars and after the oscars i think it became curzon's biggest release um ever 
um, I think the Parasite did. The Portrait of a Lady on Fire became one of the highest grossing French films of all time at the American box office. I think largely through word of mouth and largely through people seeing it. And it's something kind of people have really latched on to. You look at social media, it's, it's very popular on Twitter. You look at things like Letterboxd and Letterboxd, I think, have named it one of the best films of all time. They also meant, uh, made The Parasite the greatest film of all time as well, apparently, according <laughs> yep. to Letterboxd. But like Letterboxd have kind of changed their whole rating apparatus around it so that you rate the movie on the number of flames as opposed to the number of stars that you have for it, which I think is very <laughs> really? <similar. laughs> It's like got that. a number of flames. With... <laughs> Darren, you, you used a flame. You used a flame emoji in the uh, uh, WhatsApp group for this podcast. Is that I asked more of a Yeah, was, was, I, I had asked you if that was the first time you had ever used an emoji because we established when we covered the emoji movie that you had never used an emoji. <laughs> um, now that was, the, we discovered this was your second time using an emoji. What was the first? That is, a, you're, you're currently sitting in a classroom having taken a text message out of storage and put it on the back wall so that I'm staring at it now listlessly. <laughs> I feel like that's just a story for me, Andrew. Okay. All I right, saw that emoji right. for the first time it's, it's, and then I saw it one last time. It's good for you to have uh, this 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 mysterious thing. It 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 it, it, it means, <laughs> like the amount of podcasts that we have left to do. It means that you can have an arc, like where <laughs> where we'll eventually discover this. We'll we'll get hints as we go along. Okay, that's fine. Well, okay. The, the first emoji was something that was shared between me and somebody else. It was very special. It was it was you know a little thing. It was very cute, basically. I I'm. I'm very, I think it's a sweet story for the person and myself. Okay. Not no, for you, not, Andrew. Was not, not for you. <laughs> no. It was not a, Andrew's, this, your, was not your, a this is your emoji virginity. It's a very special thing. Yeah. I love that Andrew's kind of smiling like he imagines I sent one of those eggplant emojis or something. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> but um, on, okay. on that nice segue, um, Aoife, yourself. And it's a very awkward of a segue there. I yeah. wasn't the person who got the emoji. I just like to say. No. But in terms of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, do you remember, have you seen, had you seen it before we asked you to do this podcast? Yeah. I had yeah well I what I uh, I kept seeing after after it was at Cannes um I kept seeing all the tweets from all the really really lucky people um who had seen it um like uh Rena and Charlene and the tweets were like you know so almost over the top about like so effusive it was like this is the best film I've ever seen that's amazing and I think that can be a you know a thing when um either at festivals or when people are pretty invested in something in particular whether it's like you know a new kind of a new release or a pre-release or something um people can get very like effusive about how they feel about it and sometimes that turns me off slightly because I get a bit like mm. not everything's going to be maybe as good as you know these people are saying mm. or maybe it's just not to my taste or whatever so I was a little bit like cautious about about it um in terms of like will it be as good as people were saying as much as I really trusted like their taste um I think I was worried that it wouldn't be as amazing and that I'd really look forward to it. Um, so it came out in Ireland eventually in February. And um, I think it was one of the last films I got to see before the pandemic happened. <laughs> um, so it was kind of, it was like a Friday, I think it was a Friday before everything shut down. And it was like, I was so afraid it was going to leave the cinema because I had loads of work stuff on in the evenings and I kept missing the screenings that were on. And I was like, I'm never going to get to see this film in the bloody cinema. Um, and I went to my friend Connor and I have this tradition at the stage of like crying every time I go 
at the cinema with him and we always end up going to see something that he turns around at the end and I'm like it was so emotional um so the poor guy um so we went to see it and uh for the first half I was like this is this is a nice film and it's lovely and then there's a scene in it um and everything just switched for me it was so beautiful and so amazing and I was like I would die for both of these women this is I get it I get it now um, so and then so yeah so in the when the credits were rolling myself and Connor were like just feel so moved after seeing this so um yeah so the first half I thought you know sugar I'm not gonna have the five star feeling about it and then by the end I was like I see why everybody was just so touched by it and then I immediately was on Etsy searching for merch and stuff so (laughs) that's how you know that's how you know (laughs) exactly yeah Uh, can I ask what merch (laughs) well I actually bought I pre-ordered a little I was going to buy a mug but then I was like oh it was just before payday or something and I was like I can't justify 35 euro on a mug um so I ordered a little um a little badge that says like page 28 um Aww. but uh, again this this was before the global pandemic so I don't know if I'll ever get this badge <laughs> so, it's a, it's a sitting in the office somewhere like, yeah. like all the rest of the mail that we have exactly yeah. yes. um, but there's lots of really lovely mugs and lovely little bits of merch there so yeah I would, I would recommend what scene was it Aoife um, or is it that was, a spoiler oh wait, wait okay it's not Sorry. a spoiler it's not a, <laughs> oh no no I don't think no it's part. a spoiler but I'll save it for the spoiler section just okay. in case uh, people don't want to know anything at all uh, yes my lips are sealed uh, till later one, now then now then you put us kind of on a bit of a rush to get to the spoiler zone <laughs> Sorry, I want to know, no, 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 answer the question so we'll do rapid fire round of, of questions then to get us started so the first question when we have a film like this is do you think that this belongs on a list of the 250 greatest films ever made uh, and I know it's a new a new film and I know you know that's obviously a lot of pressure so you know no pressure um but uh Renuk, what about yourself yes uh, I think it does I think the impact it has um it, it 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 seems to have just struck a really interesting chord with uh what it says about perception about uh the cinematic gaze the female gaze um about love stories that are lgbtq and it 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 feels like we we've seen this film before but i don't think we've seen it in such a um a vivid cinematic way that I think this film will absolutely stick out and and uh, pass the test of time completely. Yeah, I think there's something to that as well because I mean, Parasite as well has done remarkably yeah, well on the yeah. list. It's kind of climbed tremendously. It's it's up in the top thirties at the moment, which is, wow. is quite Gee. impressive um, for a film like that to come in. And I think that this is holding relatively well around two twenty five as well. And again, even The Handmaiden, which is the film that is kind of stuck in the wrestling match, that mm. came in at two fifty and has been gradually climbing. Um, and of course, you know, every once in a while a film manages to go up rather than down. So it's always good to see that. Um, and what about yourself, uh, Aoife? What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, like Renuk was saying, the the female gaze in it is so so refreshing, but it's so specific to that film that it really warrants its own place because it has that kind of uniqueness to it. Um, and we always welcome more films with the female, female gaze in 250. Um, but also there's bits elements of the plot that we'll get into later in the podcast that I've never seen treated the, the way they're treated in this film and anything else that I've seen personally and I don't know maybe maybe you have in, in other films but um I just thought wow it really treated certain really heavy topics really really differently and really refreshingly and that in itself I think warrants its inclusion because there's no other film on the list and probably won't be for a long while I would think that uh, does the same things that it does 
We should probably actually, yeah, to, to give a sense of context for this. Again, we talked on the, the list, we talked on the show before about how the list is kind of dominated by a certain type of film and perhaps a certain type of taste uh, with regards to the, the movies that we cover and the movies that are kind of on there. And again, there are very few female directed films on there, although it is getting better. Um, Capernaum is actually still on there and still holding strong, mm. which I'm very, very happy to see. Um, and it's worth noting that like on this podcast as well, just randomly, the next three movies that we're going to cover are, you know, Snatch, Wages of Fear and Sorcerer. And I think between them, they don't have a single strong female voice in them. The most mm-hmm. distinctive female character in those three films is arguably an anonymous cashier in Snatch. Um, <laughs> or the director's <laughs> wife in Wages of Fear who crawls over to the lead character like a dog. So it's very much... But it, we did, we did, um, we did the Shawshank Redemption with Charlene. Yeah. Strong female voices in there. It's <laughs> yes. like, um, be sure, be sure to put two bags in this time instead of just one because the, <laughs> yeah. wasn't that order? That's yeah. the yeah, one that's line a, that's that a female was, character yeah. has. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you made up for it then by getting me onto Little Women <laughs> and portraying a lady on fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's all been a long game, basically. Um, but yeah, yeah. so, so I, yeah, that's good. So to provide a sense of context, I mean, maybe things are kind of getting a little bit better in that sense. Maybe the list is gradually and slowly diversifying itself. What about you, Charlene? Do you think that this belongs to the list of the 250 greatest films ever made? I'm definitely very happy for it to be in the top 250. But first of all, yeah, Jesus Christ, put some women in there, for God's sake. Um, there's so many great female filmmakers. And like Celine Siama is someone who I have admired for a long time. I think she's a great filmmaker. Um, so very happy to see it in there. Yeah, this is again, this is Siama's fourth film, actually, following mm-hmm. on from Water Lilies, from Tomboy and from Girlhood. Mm. Um, and again, like we'll probably talk about in this war zone, how... In those four films, there's a very clear body of kind of work. And actually, before yeah. we go into the spoilers, zone, we should mention, if you are interested in watching uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, if you've already watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire and want more Celine Siama, all three of those films are actually streaming on the Criterion uh, streaming yeah. service as well. So you can get in there and watch those. And they're all under an hour and a half Ooh. as well. So they're all very watchable. Very it also begs mentioning as well that, it, that Portrait of a Lady on Fire as of uh, Friday is on movie. On movie. Well. Mm. Yeah. Oh, cool. Ooh. That... Mm. I didn't Sorry. know that two days ago when I spent £9.99 on <laughs> and I got an email oh, no. literally that night <laughs> to say it's on movie on Friday. Yeah, because like, is the stream on movie really kind of pixelated and slow and cuts out? Does, does it also cost £9.99? Uh, <laughs> Take that, Curzon, an artificial eye. Shots fired. I, I, I appreciate, like, at this time. Um, <laughs> like, anyway, to watch movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That I, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. But yeah, they, they, they. It, it's probably all the extra demand. For, it works fine for me. For, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, Maybe it's yeah. the time of the evening I was trying to watch it. Because I generally find things are things are grand, like Netflix and all that sort of thing. But um, yeah, especially considering it was a tenor. Um, well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, but the the extra money that we give to it, like um, kind of, uh, <laughs> have, have some kind of all this uh, all this few bump, yeah, yeah the, <laughs> exactly. Manages yeah. to raise that two fifty bump. I think Prisoner still has the two fifty bump. It's actually crossed into the top two hundred for the first time. That's also on an upward trajectory. Really, uh, love yeah, it. Yeah, love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, and also worth noting that as we're releasing this, actually, so it will be on movie. Um, so just ignore all the stuff I said earlier about renting it from Curzon Artificial Eye for nine ninety nine. <laughs> you can get on movie. Well, and only for thirty days, under- though. 
Yes, and yeah. everything else is on Mubi for eight ninety nine a month, actually, as well. So 30 other movies, basically. Actually, hold on, because of the way it cycles through, if you're very quick at watching movies, you could probably watch, what, 59 movies in, in 30 days? Because it cycles? Cause you... Well, are we talking oh, about yeah. you or, or another person? I think that in oh. quarantine, everybody is yeah. when it comes to watching movies, Andrew. We're all Darren older. now. <laughs> forced to watch a lot of movies. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think the quarantine is, uh, is, is, is making a difference. Although I, I, did, I did love this movie, I have to say. As I was going to uh, ask, that's, that Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think it belongs on the list of the 250 degrees? Yeah, and, and the other thing is that, like, I'm technically a man. Uh, <laughs> and, and this uh, supposedly is kind of, you know, a, a woman, a, a, a movie for... Um, women in some sense are giving representation that isn't there and that all of these kind of movies are there on 250 and they're all kind of um, for men like like this 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 is um, uh, this this is a movie that's that that that, that I found incredible and and um, I suppose I um, um, I suppose it's the thing about men is that they always want everything. So, like, I want this thing to be mine too. <laughs> but I, I think that that's the thing, though, isn't it? That, like, you know, it, it might be, you know, um, putting women on screen and being about the female gaze. That doesn't mean that it's just for women, you know, like, because mm. there's, there's, that pro- there's that thing of, like, stuff for, the stuff that's universal has men in it and stuff that has women in it is just for women. But, like, that's not true. So welcome into the fold. We shall all yeah. love it's for everybody not just for the girls so, exactly absolutely. Yeah. that's where we need to be at right like totally yeah. i think so yeah it's it's strange kind of um i suppose yeah that we have those um those distinctions and that and that and that there's there's a kind of a um a tendency as well for is this is it that um is it that liking these kind of male um centric movies as a way for for men to identify as men um or something or i, I, I don't know I think, I think a large part of it's more the fact that they just dominate the conversation i imagine that like mm-hmm. a large part of the, the conversation is more that like it's it's not that there are male-centric movies on the 250 it's that like 242 of them are male-centric movies and then mm-hmm. you've got a collection of assortment of other ones there i think is kind of why there's that tension i mean i I I think Ebert's entirely right. That classic Ebert argument that cinema is an empathy machine. It's mm-hmm. a window into another world. It's a way of seeing the world literally through somebody else's eyes. And again, it's a it's a major theme of the movie that you know even women are taught to see the world through the eyes of men. Even when men are not present, they are yeah. in a certain sense they're constrained commanding. by the male gaze. That's exactly. Yeah. Or they're kind of they're setting the terms, or they're providing a framework, or they're the only connection to the outside world and in inverted commas legitimacy or the only way to attain a desire or what you want. Um, and so even in this, you know, female environment, there's a tendency to see the, through the male gaze, through the male eye. And I think that like one of the things about cinema. Um, what do they say? Con- conventions. Yes, ideas. Um, they're sort of, yeah, they're boxed yeah. in by conventions, ideas, expectations. When she's talking about how she draws, how she illustrates, why she can't draw uh, men naked and why she draws women in the way that she draws women. Um, and the way that those portraits are all intended literally for the male gaze, for a man to see them and decide what he wants and, and whether he wants to press ahead with this engagement. But again, like I think that you know, the power of cinema is that it is it is an empathy machine. It's a window into seeing the world through a different set of eyes. And again, 
I think that you've seen it in the past couple of years with this wonderful explosion of kind of like the first LGBT cinema, but also like the there have always been women directors going back to you know the 20s and the 30s and stuff like that and ironically they're actually kind of squeezed out in the studio system mm. so it's not just that like women have mysteriously just recently found their voice in cinema they've always been there mm-hmm. they've just been kind of squeezed the margins uh, for large portions of the history and in recent years it's great that we've seen that kind of i not change entirely not reverse entirely but seen maybe a greater awareness of and a greater welcoming of those voices into conversation and seeing yeah. films like moonlight and seeing films like this for example um are just you know it, it's an example of what the medium's capable of it shouldn't just be movies that are aimed or focused through the male gaze exclusively although there's obviously room for those and i think lots of those are great as well i think it's very much particularly at a time now when things are the way they are and in a broader cultural sense in a sense of you know things being very heightened very antagonistic people being very set in their worldview existing in bubbles even you know the mm-hmm. idea of having cinema as a way of understanding somebody else of seeing and being seen by somebody else is, is very important and i think there's something very kind of impressive in that and yeah that chat as a nice segue into my answer to the question yes i think it absolutely belongs on this list i'm very happy to see it there mm-hmm. and then the second question then uh serena would it be on your own personal list if you had 250 favorite movies ever and i mean what else are you doing in the quarantine but compiling a list <laughs> of 250 favorite movies of ever. course yeah <laughs> uh, but what what uh would this be on there would this be among your favorite films ever Yes, it would. It would. Um, this was um, one of my three favourite films from last year. Um, and I think n- now that more time has passed, it's probably my favourite film um, of last year. Um, I'm including Parasite in this year because I feel like that fits more. But um, I think uh, it's it's definitely... Um, it, it Even just in terms of... Um, cinematic language and even what you're saying about the kind of vocabulary and language that we're used to talking about and regarding films and looking at um certain themes it, it it's it's how it's it's down to how the cinematography observes certain characters and how the filmmaking itself is just so special um i find it really inspiring for me and my own craft in just being able to subvert uh different gazes and tell a story with um that was that was so quiet but yet had so much emotional noise running through it 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 just it's such a confident stark beautiful film um, that I want to keep watching again and again. So absolutely. And sorry, just to derail the conversation slightly, you mentioned your three favorite films of last year, and you counted Parasite <laughs> uh-huh. as this film, which would have ruled it out for consideration. Yeah, yeah. So what are the other two? And can I just throw a quick guess and say The Lighthouse is one? Oh, how did you know? <laughs> I know, I've got no idea. I like that there are two versions of the same film on the list. So what's the third one? Uh, it's Midsummer. Uh, ah. which I absolutely love so much. You like films about people stuck places. <laughs> I do, yeah. It's kind of like I'm, I'm living the time of my life right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're well equipped. Yeah. We should note, by the way, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, the perfect quarantine movie, perhaps. It's a perfect movie. Oh, if we could all be more uh, like those ladies than any of the other people in these. It was like a mirror. Like, when they're in their, like, dressing gown... Their wine and cheese and breads, They're smoking pipes. a pipe. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I was like, is this me? Um, yeah, 
They've also got really great quarantine um, face masks, the lovely lace face mask that they wear. It's like oh, it's scars, very chic. Yeah. 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 Um, probably not very sanitary, I have to admit. But yeah, not yeah, at all. No, no. They do the job. It's, it's not <laughs> four-ply at all. What's what's the WHO sort of opinion on those sort of face masks? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the part of the result of this kind of isolation is going to be like, what what did we like so much about life the way it was? Like, <laughs> can, can, can we just keep doing this? Sorry. Um, um, and yeah. now listeners will join realize, Andrew on his realize, walk around his little island, his secluded island. Yeah. I realize, yeah, I realize there there is probably people for 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 whom the disadvantages are, are more um, pronounced. But I don't know. It's pretty good, right? Um, yeah. So, so Aoife. Pretty good, right? Pretty uh, good, no, right? <laughs> but but uh, more seriously, though, would this be on your own list of your own kind of favorite movies ever? Yeah, and, like, and... I know it's really soon to answer in one way, but like like I was saying at the start, you know when you watch something and you have that like rush of emotion, at the end you just like sit back and you're like, that was bloody, that just made me feel all these emotions and I just feel like I want to watch it again. I got so much out of it. There's more I want to see. It, You know, it just gave me so much kind of nourishment and things to think about and um it was beautiful to look at the music was the little bits of music that were in it were beautiful um so yeah no totally i i feel like it's you know they like every every year you have those certain moments of things like cultural things that you will always remember that year by or like you know and it will always like stick certain things will really stick with you you know so maybe like parasite is probably something that will stick with a lot of people personally as well as it being on on the top lists i feel like this will really remind me of 2020 when the world came to an end thanks to oh, the pandemic. but it was like the last beautiful bit of of culture i, I experienced in the cinema before they all closed say, permanently so yeah I, I was gonna say like yeah it's it very much like in there before the shutter then in terms Thank God. Of, like, memory. Like, yeah, like like is your memory of portrait of a lady on fire going to always be it's that movie i saw before the world shut down and the kind of sh- everything went on lockdown literally it's kind of mad like and actually that the same evening I went to see Anne Devlin in the IFI because Diff was on at the time and I hadn't seen Anne Devlin before and it was so they're both set in the same like century thereabouts and it was so cool seeing the two different Mm. you know forms of women's lives at that time and they like it was such a great night I was like yeah I had such a good evening (laughs) you know these were like (laughs) the best films I could have seen tonight um for various reasons but yeah that that was a a really different uh but cool companion film to that as well i thought so i yeah. i now have this image of Aoife coming out of the uh, ifi going if i never see another film in the cinema again i'll be happy and then... <laughs> sorry guys it's Aoife's fault <laughs> i had you know i'm really sorry but listen working from home is fine right <laughs> yeah it's the fl- uh, floors aren't as sticky um True. at home and yeah True. yeah i had There's, noticed like, no like, popcorn um, at home <laughs> Yeah, there's less people to tell us shut up. <laughs> That's fair. Fewer <laughs> yeah, people true. texting through the movie, mainly just myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, Charlene, what about yourself? Would it be on your own list of the 250 greatest movies you've ever seen? I really don't like being negative Nelly, but it wouldn't be on my, my list. Um, and like everything you guys have just said, like I don't re- remotely disagree with anything. Um, and I admire so many things about it. And we'll get into it. Like there's a very little negative stuff to say about this film, but just personally... I didn't I didn't get that wave of feeling that I get from that I have gotten from other films. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about it 
Um, I, I really thought it was beautiful. But yeah, personally, wouldn't be on my list. <laughs> Negative Nelly. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> listeners can't see Enoch, Aoife and Andrew's faces while Charlene was saying this <laughs> Darren I told you my official line on the, on Portrait of Lady on Fire is that it's good but it's no call me by your name <laughs> oh yes yes we can talk about that in the spoiler section <laughs> <laughs> still one of our most popular episodes actually um, yeah, yeah. It was, it was just the two of us. You and I. The the what what uh, uh what what is it that word is shipping? Shipping, yes. Um, you got ships. We oh, yeah, I think so. Living the dream. But Andrew, <laughs> what about yourself? Would it be on your own favorite movies? Your list of your favorite movies that you've ever seen? Yeah, and 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 it's 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 quite a special movie as well. I I I really agree with what Reno said. It's a very kind of. Um, quiet movie there's very very little um there are only two pieces of music uh yeah and composition the, and the max richter's reworking of the vivaldi's four seasons it does it doesn't seem to be any kind of um non-diegetic music either that i could think of no um there, um and it's it really i think it's it's so beautiful the kind of color and the light and the textures of this movie and the the whole um love story i just found really compelling um and um just yeah wanted wanted to to kind of replay it and replay it and i yeah, found it really um profound i guess um, so yeah, yeah, no, I'd, I'd, um, I'd have to be put on my two fifties. Yeah. I'm going to back up Charlene here. Actually, um, I, I really like Thank this. You. I think it's great that it's on on the list. Um, it, but it's I, no big I, deal, uh, Charlene, if Darren <laughs> also doesn't cry. That's <laughs> yeah, great. I've actually, yeah, I've apparently been described as a robot. I did a guest slot on another podcast and apparently their Facebook feed was filled with questions asking if I was a robot. So it's not just you, Andrew. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I am apparently an unfeeling robot. And uh, no, I, I really like this movie. I like what it's doing. I understand what it's doing. I appreciate what it's doing. I think it's very important. And I'm, and this is one of the situations where it's like something like, and this is probably the only time this comparison is going to be made, so I'm going to enjoy this. It's probably something like Avengers Endgame, where it's like, I can see that this movie <laughs> deeply, deeply affects a lot of people and matters a lot to a lot of people and has a profound impact on those people watching it. And are they're genuinely stirred in their souls by the experience of sitting down and having this kind of come at them. And I find that, the idea of that, and listening to people talk about it, watching people tweet about it, reading people's review of it, and I found that almost more moving than the film itself. <laughs> um, and I say that completely understanding what the film's doing, loving what the film's doing, but finding that it just doesn't move me or stir mm -hmm. me. And again, I, I, you know, I'm entirely aware that the obvious counterpoint to that is that the stuff that Andrew said, which is it's not made for me, which is a fair criticism. I don't think that's what it is. It's... Every well, no, year. no. I like. I, 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 I feel like the 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 idea that it's that it's kind of um, made for um, uh, somebody other than me. Does it does it doesn't yeah. kind of ring true to me because it, mm. it because it touched me yeah. so much. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, um, and I mean, 
it's I suspect to be honest it's more that it's it's vision of love isn't quite what I look for in a love story we talk about this when we talk about before sunset and before sunrise I'm not a big fan of ephemeral love stories um just in general and they don't really yeah. as a personal thing uh, kind of resonate with me um and you it's, it's also... you 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 um kind of um is it is it kind of like well well she was she was meant to get married so she should go and get married. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Show me that love story. Um, She's yeah, so no. flaky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charlene. I agree. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but no, that is not what it is. I do appreciate the going. occupying herself with such silly things. Such yeah. trivial things. I mean, she could be taking up an art form. She could be learning, you know, calligraphy or something uh, in the time that she spends having that love affair she knows kind of well. No, but it, it's more... Every every year there's the, the festival circuit and there's the kind of movies that come out of the festival circuit and sometimes and it's it's really weird, but sometimes they don't resonate with me. So I'm thinking of like Corita's Shoplifters, for example, which was a huge sensation at the can before this one. And I watched it, I'm like, I get it, it's nice, it's well made, but it doesn't really click with me. Or Burning, which is a similar film coming out of uh, South Korea around the same time as well, which is again it's really well made. I like it, but it just doesn't kind of click with me. And even like films on the American indie circuit, films like, for example, Beasts of the Southern Wild or um, The Florida Project, which are movies that people fall head over heels in love with. And I'm like, it's very well made. I appreciate it. But this that. is what's wonderful about films, right? Is that like, you know, they they mean so much to certain people and then other people, they're like, yeah, get it. But it's not, you know, and yeah. I mean, it. It can't be universal because if it was, then nothing's interesting. Yeah. You know, so there'd be I, no value in it. Yeah, it's absolutely fine, Darren. You don't have to apologize to us. <laughs> <laughs> Just the internet in general. Just the um, oh, don't don't worry about them. They're I'm, pricks. <laughs> 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 Not none of your listeners, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charlene. <laughs> Who'll be like, yeah, I stand up for Darren. And Darren's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, yeah, they, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, I'm not yeah. certain I want to associate myself with your club. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you for using the word club there, Andrew. Um, all right, then. And then final question. Uh, before, yeah. <laughs> before we jump into the spoiler zone, which is if listeners have not yet seen it, and it is available on movie right now as we're listening, um, would you recommend that they pause the podcast, stay indoors, crucially, and two meters away from strangers, <laughs> and watch the movie? So, Renuk. 100%, absolutely. Anifa. Yes, avoid all spoilers, uh, pause the podcast, go watch it, and then come back and listen to us discuss it in my new detail. Um, and Charlene. I would say yes, but I would also say, like, turn off the lights, turn it up really loud immerse yourself in it like it is a beautiful film and let it wash over you properly don't like stick it on just yeah. don't do that and I think that Andrew it'll be mentions... very boring that way don't watch it on your phone <laughs> don't watch it on your phone <laughs> it's not a quibby don't don't watch it in 10 minute installments sort of quibby no. style um but uh and actually I would second Andrew actually mentioned this it's absolutely beautiful to look at it's rich in color it's very vivid um and again even the, the textures of the clothes. Again, it's it's a period piece, but even like particularly allowing for it being a period piece, the way in which it's lit, I think they, they sort of invented new ways of lighting as well when they were filming it. Um, but also even things like the texture of the clothes. It's a very... And again, I'm describing a lesbian love story, so I'm hesitant to use the word sensuous because it makes it sound more sordid than it is. But it's a very text textural, kind of mm -hmm. tactile almost kind of film in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Even yeah, even stuff stuff that I probably like wouldn't really 
pay terror. I wanted the kind of um, like the the hair and 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 makeup and the uh, costume. It was, it was just a, such a kind of a pleasure to 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 just watch this. Um, yeah, kind of um, I guess bathing or something. And which is really nice because for a lot of it. Uh, you're not maybe seeing a lot of variety, you know, not to spoil anything, but you know what I mean? So just like the quarantine thing, you know, so it, they, yeah. didn't, they didn't have to throw every, all this crazy variety at you for you to appreciate the, be- the beautifulness of it. So. I mean, you say that, Aoife, but I think their quarantine, I think uh, Eloise's quarantine and Marianne's quarantine <laughs> kind of beats my quarantine. It's a bit slightly. sexier than your usual quarantine. We'll give, we'll give them that. A bit more interesting. Ch- changing clothes just as often. <laughs> no spoilers. So, the, the same, the same. Pre- yeah, sorry. Um, all right then. I think uh, Andrew and yourself. Would you recommend it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, 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 um, treat treat yourself to this. You've uh, you've earned it. Yeah. I, I would second that as well. I've watched it, I think, three or four times over the past week as well, um, and it's it's absolutely gorgeous to look at, and you kind of immerse yourself in it. Um, it's very, very good. I'd wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, right then, with that in mind, then we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Zone de spoiler. Is that what we're going for? <laughs> Is that what we're going for? We spoil we... <laughs> uh, So, Aoife, what is Portrait of a Lady on Fire about for you? Wow. Um, okay. Uh, what is it about? It's about, it's about, like, looking, and it's about discovering, and it's about connection, and it's about beauty. Um... And it's about people being like constrained, like physically and socially, and what happens when they just kind of follow their own instincts. Um, and it's also about like when um, when people are constrained, when women are constrained by society, how they still find ways of getting around those constraints. Like not to sound too like you know um, academic about it or whatever, but I think that like there's stuff that happens in it, like with the um, kind of maid who works with them like her story you know like she does stuff that like she shouldn't really be doing that she's not allowed to do and that she does it anyway and um women help each other out in the movie so yeah it's about like looking and and interpreting what you see and connecting with that and um and like kind of like beauty and and appreciating beauty as well especially like when you think like the last scene which um is very similar to a movie that I know myself and Charlene are very big fans of. We can probably talk about that in a bit. Um, that's all about like appreciating the moment. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think that and made sense. Eva, <laughs> no, it did. Yeah. Now that oh, now that we're in the spoiler zone. Yeah. What was the scene? Oh, the scene that oh, yeah. that like clicked the movie for me. Yeah. So it was the scene at the bonfire. Um, yeah. so they're both at the bonfire and it is a moment where they kind of realize they're in love with each other right so it was kind of made sense that I was like I'm in love with this movie um, but the music <laughs> was 
just oh, like so yeah. amazing it just like made the hairs of my arms stand up it was incredible it was so like you know uh, evocative and so dramatic and intense and then it's so beautiful to look at because you have the flames and the bonfire and the little sparks literally flying between the two women um see what she did there and it just you know it just i was like whoa this is like i'm overwhelmed by how beautiful that this is and then you realize oh hang on the two women are also overwhelmed at what's happening to them with them and they're realizing there's a connection between them and it was uh, so I feel like the film is like two halves for me and it probably was in two halves anyway but two halves in terms of how I felt about it it's lovely and then it's amazing so yeah particularly that song though I think just yeah it's worth worth noting that was composed by electronic musician para one is his name um, and you can find it on Spotify, and we'll probably include it in the show notes as well because it is a tremendous piece of music. It's called "Le Jeune Fille en Feu," uh, yeah. which is the young woman on, on fire. fire. Oh, uh, me. I see. Notably, that's the fr- <laughs> the French title of the film. Actually, is "The Young Woman on Fire," but they changed it to "Portrait of a Lady on Fire" uh, in order to get, I believe, it's the Thomas Hardy reference in. Ah, oh, um, yes, yes. I do like some literary wordplay in there, um, and it's actually interesting what what Eva mentioned there about it being a film about beauty. Um, and again, this is something that's very interesting about Siama and her filmography and how she approached this film in particular. Siama's uh, previous three films, which are Water Lilies, uh, Tomboy and Girlhood, um, all have this kind of recurring motif of women finding spaces uh, in the world or finding places where they belong. Uh, in Water Lilies, uh, which is the one about the women of the swim team, it's swimming in water where you're literally... You're kept afloat. You're floating kind of apart from the world almost. In Tomboy, it's a story of a 10-year-old girl who presents herself as a boy for the summer in order to kind of fit in and to order to be allowed to play football and to do all the tomboyish things that she wants to do. In Girlhood, which is, is a story about a, a young black girl in, in Paris uh, from the, the kind of slums, it's even in that kind of joining a girl gang, but that four-minute sequence, uh, which is available on YouTube and kind of, you know, watch the movie but if you haven't watched the movie you've probably seen it as well it's the sequence set to rihanna's is it diamond mm-hmm. is that what it's called diamonds yeah yeah diamonds but it's kind of it's that sense of freedom and like siama's filmography is full of these spaces that women make for themselves apart from the world and you know here obviously it's it's the island where you know um eloise and marianne and sophie the, the maid are basically left to their own devices um, there's, you know, only a handful of male characters in the film. I think there's what, you know, one male character who has lines for the point where they're on the island and he's the mostly useless ferryman. He appears in the background. Of a couple- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, pretty bad. He really is. The moment where like she, her art supplies go overboard and he just kind of stares he's idly. Like, he's like the least gallant <laughs> of gentlemen. Kind of. Because, yeah. yeah. So I carried, I carry, I, I love that he carries her supplies the easy way inland, where it's like, okay, I carried them on the beach over <laughs> to the base of the mountain. You just carry them up the mountain there and into the castle. That'll do you fine there. Uh, but again, and it, it seems to take her forever as well. Yeah. I don't know was 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 that intended or just to kind of like, um, you know, to get the the the, the kind of contrast of 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 light but it's 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 it 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 goes from like light to darkness on her way to the house pretty much um 
and but, again, um, but even he's kind of kept out of shot and he's shot in the background of shot and you have what I think when he reappears later in the film uh, signaling that the Contessa has returned you have that kind of sequence I think that Siamas described it as the jump scare of patriarchy the moment where Marianne's <laughs> wandering through the house and all of a sudden there's just a man eating breakfast in the kitchen and it's yeah. somehow the scariest thing ever in the world <laughs> <They're here. laughs> because it's like yeah that's it exactly because you realize you only then realize how kind of like blissful and ideal it's their been. little bubble is over yeah. yeah yeah that's it and it's done so well and again you have like obviously but Siama as a director and a writer has talked about when she was writing and constructing the film she wanted to create a film that avoided, and again, this is probably something I think Reno kind of alluded to, actually, so so maybe let Reno speak to it, but this idea of a space where they're traditionally kind of tragic gay love story, and again, the cliches of the gay love story, where mm-hmm. you have the, the characters and stock cliches that we've kind of grown up with since, you know, the movies about gay people started winning awards in the 90s, which are, you know, the character who is basically straight, or the character who is so repressed that he's cry- he or she are kind of crying and ashamed of who they are. Or, you know, the character who is sweet and endearing, but has to die at the end and possibly win their actor an Oscar, even though the actor is straight. And Siama's talked about how she wanted to avoid those cliches of kind of LGBT cinema and create a film that was while acknowledging the realities of what it's like for two women to be in love, you know, and as much at the time, but, you know, even now in, in certain societies and contexts, it's arguably, you know, just as difficult. And understanding that their love affair was fundamentally tragic and that they were going to be separated, but refusing to portray that as sad or to, to portray it as melodrama or to turn it into kind of like angst or tragedy porn, again, arguably for the male gaze or for the heteronormative gaze where, you know, cinema goers go, well, isn't that really sad? Instead going, Actually, it's it's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. joyous. It's wonderful. It's worth celebrating. And, yeah, I do find that the 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 takeaway for me is is you know the um this main character of Marianne who's an artist and you know without having to expressively go into so much detail about the world in which she must have um or the story she must have had to have had to become an artist that. Uh, while marriage is sort of the assumed end result for Eloise, Marianne is an artist and has decided not to pursue a life of marriage, that she's someone who in- endeavours to live her life for art, even willing to jump over uh, a boat to go in pursuit of it as well. That it's, um, you know, it's about how she sees the world and how she experiences um life and people and this this one love story is just a moment in her life as opposed to um what it might mean for Heloise. It's just a um a a a beautiful moment she had and and a space carved away just for her and um yeah I think that that's kind of my my I I, I hope that answers the question. I kind of like I, I think that's my um my emotional response to it is is purely on on the uh, the character construct of her and what makes her really interesting alone that she's not quite um you know as vivid as Eloise but she's someone who is just as important by just being uh different to how we might expect that character from the start and it's interesting actually because Sayama's talked about how 
despite the fact that we tend to assume that, you know, the history of art is dominated by men in the same way that we assume the history of cinema is dominated by men, even though historically it actually wasn't. Many of the silent films and many of the kind of 20s and 30s films directed by women. Tsuyama actually, when she was talking about Enlightenment era, when she was investigating Enlightenment era painting, she discovered that, like, actually a large amount of them were women. It was very common yeah. for women to be doing these sort of portraits and paintings, and they just end up kind of being erased from, from history mm. as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And again, she talks about how she didn't pick one individual uh, historical female painter to, to kind of illustrate she wanted to do kind of a, a broad tribute to all of them and kind of drew from a mm -hmm. variety of sources and, I mean she singled out uh, for example people like Dora Maher um, you know and, and even the way in which say that, that the women in art history are typically reduced to, to muses how we tend to see them as you know, yeah. love affairs for, for artists or kind of you know tangential to artists or by their association to other artists so like she singles out say Dora Maher who was the muse of Picasso in inverted commas but she was a photographer mm -hmm. in her own right and kind of centre of the surrealist scene or Gabriella uh, Passibal, the the wife of uh, Picabia, um, but was, you know, the brain of the work and kind of the idea that she was as much kind of subject to creating it as he was and kind of having that obscured. And even in this film, you have Marianne who, you know, submits art under her father's name to art shows uh, mm -hmm. in order to get them kind of accepted or to get them shown. She kind of takes his name and she uses it. And, you know, her work is, is somewhat ignored or overlooked. You get a sense of that in the gallery scene towards the end. But even that the, um, Lee Krasner as well, kind of it, it's so kind of strange the the, the amount, um, like the, that. I I guess her her kind of art has now been, um, kind of reevaluated. and for a lot of art critics, is more significant than than the work of Jackson Pollock. But if you look up. The Krasner, it'll it'll say kind of um, almost immediately. Well, yeah, uh, 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 like a wife or a partner of Jackson mm -hmm. Pollock. But if if you were to read about Jackson Pollock, it would probably take a while before it would um, it would mention the 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 Krasner, which is 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 strange as well because of the amount of influence that her work had on his as well um yeah just the 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 um the 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 overshadowing i guess that takes place yeah yeah i know so i was gonna say i know someone who's a musician and her husband is a musician and she had to she was trying to contact google because when you google her name it would come up that she was the, the wife of this guy but on his it wow. wouldn't say he was like that the husband of even though they're both wow. musicians so like in 20 that was 2018, probably. So it's a long running thing, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, like just in, even in outside of that, the kind of conversations that Heloise has with, with her, uh, with Marianne, about how Marianne sees her and the way in which, like, despite the fact that, you know, they're on this island by themselves and it, they're pretty much entirely populated by women, even before the Countess leaves. And after the Countess leaves, yes, it's entirely populated by women. But even then, the way in which Marianne constructs her art is is guided by a male eye. It's guarded, you know, it's guided metaphorically by the eye of the kind of the the man waiting in Milan. In fact, there's the moment yeah. where Eloise is kind of wearing the shroud and uh, Marianne tells her to take it off so that she can see the cleavage. And Eloise is like, oh, I see you're, you're painting with my uh, future husband in mind. You know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But even, even the conversation that they have about when uh, Eloise looks at the first portrait of her and she finds it lifeless. 
Yeah. And, you know, Marianne responds by saying what you mistake for life is just a series of moments that could, con- you know, conceal mistruths, uh, which is a very mm-hmm. kind of, again, rugged, rational way of looking at things. It's very kind of strict and it's very guided by yeah. like what the idea of kind of a male vision is. Um, and even like that you, you kind of Aoife alluded there to the plot involving Sophie, uh, Sophie the maid, who has the abortion. Um, and the, in the context of that, there's a very clear sense of the movie again, being about the way in which we erase kind of the female gaze and the way that the life experiences of women. And again, Siam has talked about how that subplot with the abortion was inspired actually by, you know, somebody, a French artist that she talked to who had undergone an abortion, who'd gone through an abortion and had said, there's no art reflecting my experience. There's no mm-hmm. portrait of kind of an abortionist in a back alley, for example. There are very few films that look at it. And again, the BFI, after the release of this film, went through a list of films and said, actually, it's surprising how many of the films about abortion are from male directors and kind of male yeah, gays. Yeah. And again, very focused on kind of the trauma and the horror and kind of the, you know, the, the isn't this terribleness of it, as opposed to the actual experience of the person undergoing it. Um, and kind of, you have that in the film where Marianne, during the procedure, looks away. She actually turns her head away. And Heloise says, no, t- look at it, look at it. Um, and then you have later on the sequence where Heloise, again, this is one of those things where I, I get it academically and I kind of, I understand why it's important. I think it's great that it's there, but I do have a bit of an emotional disconnect to it. But the moment where Sophia, when she's recovering from her, you know, from the experience and physically traumatized like actually physically because it's 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 obviously a medical procedure she's lying down she's you know and and you know Eloise says are you okay and then basically makes her kind of reenact that so that uh, it can be painted by Marianne and again I I understand like it, it's a very pointed very vivid scene because the, the whole point is that you never see this you, you never see these moments captured and Eloise is teaching Marianne to see these to actually look at these things and to represent them in art because you know, again, we, were we talking about? We were talking about Little Women, and we were talking about that discussion about you know the story of of the sisters and the mm. importance of like you know, I'm not going to write about it because it's not important. No, you you write about it, and by writing about it, you make it important, and yeah. you have that sense of mm-hmm. here of this this woman's experience being made important because yeah. it's deemed worthy enough for you know an artist to kind of represent and and look at. And again, I, th- I think that's all very powerful and very kind of timely. And I think it, it's, again, something that's worth celebrating. And it is striking watching it, how even myself, who I would consider somebody who watches a lot of movies, you know, haven't seen that experience portrayed in, in that way in film, no. in, in my memory of it. I haven't seen an abortion represented in the way that it is here. And, you know, I mean, there are films that do it with sympathy and with empathy and with compassion. Uh, undoubtedly but i don't think i've ever seen a film that has so pointedly and so aggressively and so righteously and so emphatically insisted no this is an experience that we should be acknowledging more and, yeah. she, and, um, she, and that was very powerful. And it's kind of done in a caring way you know like it's done in it like I, I saw i can't remember the name but it was a polish film that that was in the Dublin Film Festival a couple of years ago about kids at a kind of an industrial school. It's like properly grim, and there is that is the a, one in the deaf? It was it a deaf? Yeah, school? exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't, why can't I remember the, the name of that film or something like that? I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. <laughs> the, of the, the tribe, the tribe. The tri- that yeah, was that's the, the one. Yeah. And there's a really very very long work team, a very <laughs> a very long um abortion scene in it, and it's I I was really glad that it was in the film because it showed 
a woman having yeah. an abortion, which is, uh, you know, a part of life for a lot of people. Um, but the framing of that in terms of like the tone and the way it was treated was very kind of scary and, and grim and kind of visceral. And I thought it was really pointedly done the opposite way in A Port of Lady on Fire, where it was like nurturing and caring. And there was a baby on the bed next to her and she's connecting yeah. with the baby. And it was really just felt really loving and like this was like an act of love that she was that was happening mm. to, for her and I don't know I think for women in Ireland definitely over the last few years it's it's like a really kind of hits home with a lot of people um so uh, you know even though some people maybe might not agree with um her portrayal of it I mean maybe it was more visceral than what was going on in the film it was really nice to see it represented in that way of like an act of of love by somebody and not a like anti-baby thing or an anti-motherhood thing either it was just captured all the complicated um grayness of it so they're like complete even though very similar very 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 different um treatments of it it's funny because I, I had that exact thought, Aoife. Like I thought about the watching The Tribe, which I'd forgotten the name of, um, that scene because it's it's quite similarly um, clinical as yeah. in it shows you yeah, sort yeah. of what's happening. Um, but yeah, like there's just there's such a balance in Portrait of Lady on Fire of how this is. Uh, first of all, like there's no hesitation there's no like scene where she's breaking down going like, oh, I think I'm going to have to, you know, like there isn't that. It's just kind of like, this is what has to be done. I'm not in a position for this to be possible. And then everybody just makes it happen and it's not simple. And there's, you know, things are tried and failed and and it's not not visceral. It looks, you know, it, it it's hard to watch. Um, And you have the little baby beside her who she connects with. Mm. So she's not just kind of going like, oh, you know, yeah. uh, babies, you know, it isn't that there's just so much space. And I say that about a lot of things in this film. There's so much space around that situation that I think really, really works beautifully. And it's not judgmental and it's not trying to make us like feel disgusted. It's not trying to make us recoil. It's presenting us with it, which is going back to your point, Darren, exactly the point of them making her draw it and making her making Heloise like that 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 whole idea of Heloise making her confront this I think that that's really unusual for a representation of abortion because we often think that um just kind of one, one final thought I had in it that we often act like you know this was something that never actually happened you know but in in a world without contraception and in a world where people were having sex and didn't want to have kids mm. like this is just how people dealt you know people dealt with things in different ways some people had kids some people didn't and if they didn't there were different options you know and it's kind yeah. of cool to see that of like well this is what one woman one woman decided to do and this was normal and there was a woman that she went to who played that role for her and I was like oh wow you don't really see that kind of uh, accepted as the norm um, no you know mm. obviously every culture is, is different but that was I thought that was really striking about it yeah same I should mention, actually, I mentioned the, the French author. Um, it was Annie Ernau is, is the name, by the way. Um, okay. Who wrote a book about her own experience. And basically in that oh. book said, there's, there's, you know, I looked around culture and I couldn't see anything that represented my experience. And why is that? And again, so it, like, I think that that's something that's very important within Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And again, it's almost justifying itself, as it were, almost kind of like it's a film about the need for art to be like this movie is. Um, yeah. And I think Siama herself has kind of talked about how 
there is almost a kind of a, an autobiographical kind of sense to the film as well, because she herself was in a long-term relationship with the actor Adele Hanel, who plays uh, Heloise. And again, you have oh. that relationship between... Yeah, they're, they were together. I think she filmed Water Lilies with her in 2008. Um, and I think after that, they, they became involved. They actually separated um, amicably shortly before they were working on this film. Um, oh. Um, one of the jokes going around Twitter is that every film should have an ex-girlfriend commentary on it. Um, <laughs> and it would give you a very good idea of kind of what a director is actually like. Um, but yeah, no, they, they, but she's saying that, yeah, a lot of that kind of bled through in, into the film because the film is obviously about the relationship between an artist and their subject who, who yeah. inspires them and, and the relationship. That's really that interesting. Up, yeah. 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 Uh, which is very kind of heartening. Um, in and the sense. art of looking at someone and trying to, uh, determine some kind of essence about who they are and then that subject looking back at you and challenging your own perception about who they are and um, influencing their work as well it is the kind of like it's it's a it's it does challenge the perception of um, the traditional sense of what a, mu- a muse is of being mm. able to project all your expectations about what you think your inspiration is based on a uh, an idea of who you think your subject is. It's the subject commanding the art as opposed to uh, the artist commanding the subject. Yeah. And the art of looking is like so, so important here. And again, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. and it's kind of Siama talking about, and you have this conversation that runs throughout equality is a pleasant thing when, you know, um, Eloise is talking about her experience at the, at the Benedictines, but you have like, I want, uh, I want Siama to, to make a movie, um, about the uh, about a convent because uh, yeah. like you, you're just <laughs> describing the um the kinds of movies that she makes kind of and in hearing um heloise uh describe the convent as well like the extent to which she didn't want to be kind of taken away from the convent Mm-hmm. Um, so she of, felt there, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. Convent is one of those spaces of... which would have been women dominated. And kind Maybe of there's a prequel we could we could see. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would watch that. I yeah. love Heloise. <laughs> Portrait of a flammable lady. Um, <laughs> it's like we're doing Call Me by Your Name sequels, and we're doing them kind of incrementally. Um, but I like the idea that yeah, we actually do a Portrait of a Lady on Fire prequels um, alternatively. Yeah, yeah. Ever called me by your name? Where one of the characters is is what like in his mid mid twenties, and the other one is like twelve. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. To, to be fair, yeah. The casting on call. Me, I always not to derail this into the call me by your name podcast. I still find myself a bit taken aback by the casting of Army Hammer, who looks about forty, and Timothy Chalamet, who will always look about twelve. I know. Um, I've had this discussion with many a person. <laughs> yeah, same, same. We like, yeah. we still defend our love of that film despite being like this oh, yeah. a little bit. Well, I'm just like, it's supposed not, to be mid-twenties. You, know, yeah, yeah, you, you know that it's not because you know the age of the actors, but then you look at them and you're like, yep. Yeah. Like, Timothy Chalamet will still be, you know, making those sort of movies when he's 85 somehow. Like, exactly. He'll, he'll never get a buttocks. Um, <laughs> it's not going to happen for him. Um, uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> and Charlene Sorry. has changed her background. Call me by your name, poster. Sorry, I can't help but do that sometimes. I love but, it. Um, 
<laughs> and now listeners can imagine what kind of backgrounds we have in all our conversations as this is absolutely but, <laughs> but the the art of looking which which kind of uh mm. got there is, is so important to the film um and again you you have it again literally with the characters where you have that sequence where i mean most obviously like marianne is there to draw heloise and to draw her without her consent or without her knowledge originally and so her role being there becomes to watch and to look and to observe and you have so much of the film is focused on the camera looking at Marianne looking at Eloise for example and even when they're walking out together you have that wonderful sequence where they walk to the edge of the cliff mm. and Marianne looks at Eloise Eloise turns her head Marianne looks back and Eloise is looking at Marianne and they're not looking at each other, but they're each, you know, they're not looking at each other at the same time, but they're stealing glances at one another. Even the yeah. way in which Heloise is introduced, where, you know, you're walking down the stairs and she's dressed entirely in black. You only see her from behind and you kind of chase her. And you again, you have the camera, you have the gaze literally chasing the actor, chasing the woman across the field towards the cliff edge, wanting her to turn around and wanting to see her face, because that's so much of kind of what the film is and what the film's about and kind of how it becomes kind of what it is. But even like, you know, we, the first time they kiss, Aoife mentioned, is, is the sequence, you know, after that fire when they go down to the cave. But arguably, you know, the, the first love scene in the film is that sequence where they talk about each other and they talk about how well they know each other because they've been looking at one another. And like in the world of the film, love and looking are almost kind of, interchangeable to to, yeah. to study something is to love it um and to there's love a great it. tension as well between kind of the, the scene and the unseen like you you have you have all of these examples kind of early in the movie where you're 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 made kind of wait for it because you, you've got this you've got this backwards canvas Kind of that you're looking at, and then you turn the canvas, and there's a blank face, yeah. mm-hmm. and then there, there's a there's a disembodied dress as mm-hmm. well, where um, and it, it's it it works really well at kind of um, little uh, ratcheting up that tension me... towards kind of like the the, the, the and and yeah yeah and 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 her not her not seeing her the way she would one of her models. Um, just having to kind of steal sort of glances and get it kind of um, slow. I feel almost bad uh, uh, making this the um, uh, making this the obligatory Robocop reference. But the way <laughs> the way the way you get to see Robocop slowly, kind of, um, first in in reflection or through a glass and moving you know, slowly around, and moving slowly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yes, uh, I'm very sorry. <laughs> but hey, it's okay. You didn't compare it to Avengers Endgame, so it's fine. Um, no, you're right. You're right. Actually, what I, what I did was 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 much better. But yeah. but again, like so much of the film being in that idea of kind of looking at that conversation they have, like that's practically a love scene. That's arguably one yeah. of the most erotic scenes in the movie. Is the sequence where it's like yes, and then you kind of you raise your eyebrows when you get upset, and you you breathe through your mouth when you don't know what to say, and it becomes mm. clear in that moment how much they are aware of one another and how much like that act of observing is an act of intimacy arguably as much as kind of any actual kind of touching and again siam has talked about how 
and this kind of gets gets into that discussion of kind of, of of lesbian films and the kind of discussion of kind of lesbian love stories. Siamas talked about how she didn't want the film to kind of fetishize the the affair between mm. these two women. She didn't want the camera to leer at them with the male gaze. And in fact, actually, tiny detail, but I absolutely adore it. When Siama, uh, who is a fantastic interview subject, but she was talking about the importance of total equality when making the film. So she obviously, she cast the role of Eloise first and to cast the role of Marianne, she was very insistent that she find an actor who was exactly the same height. True equality. But again, in terms of framing <laughs> and composition, um, in terms of making it so the two could fit in the shot together, it makes perfect sense. But I kind of mm-hmm. love that she, she frames it in that way where she wanted the characters so perfectly measured to one another that she would literally base the casting of one of her two leads on the height <laughs> of the one that she'd already cast, which is That's fantastic. And it, it's good as well with the composition of the girl squads with, um, with them, 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 themselves and Sophie to, to, to have kind of Sophie in the middle. Like <laughs> you mean the, in terms of like the, symmetry? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Symmetry. You have that sort of like height there, but I mean, it, it's also Siama's uh, was very careful when she was making it because she um, she didn't want the film to seem exploitative of its kind of characters. And again, this is one mm. of the things where you know we have lesbian love stories recently, and there were kind of like it was a there's a mini sort of boom almost in the 2010s around them, um, largely spurned by the success of Blue is the Warmest Color, uh, but even like extending to films like, for example, um, is it um, what's the name of the one with uh, Rachel McAdams and Rachel Vice in it? Oh, disobedience. disobedience. Sorry? Disobedience. Disobedience, for example, as well, and obviously The Handmaiden and that sort of thing. And, you know, you, you've had discussions about those films because many of them come from male directors about how exploitative and how leering that is. I think the actors involved in Blue is the Warmest Colour described feeling like prostitutes mm-hmm. during the way those mm-hmm. scenes were shot. I think that to, to be fair to The Handmaiden, to give it credit, Park Chan-wook worked very hard to make sure that the women on that film felt yeah. comfortable. Yeah, um, yeah. He sent everybody off set, for example. He directed uh, remotely or kind of out of separation. He made sure everybody was comfortable. But even then, there is a sense of kind of anxiety and discomfort around that. Siama wanted to avoid that whatsoever. I think when she was asked about Blue is the Warmest Colour, and again, Siama being an excellent interview subject, her response was... That movie. Um, <laughs> which, um, but uh, she kind of, like, the way in which the film avoids that, and it manages to make things that, you know, sh- you wouldn't necessarily consider to be sexual. sexual. Yeah. Mm. And again, yeah. that's most obvious with the, the armpit scene, which is... <laughs> and again, Siam has <laughs> talked about... How so and again, funny. like a giddy, like a giddy school child. How yeah. when she wrote it, she knew exactly what it was going to look like on film. Yeah. And when everybody read it and approved it, they were like, "This is odd. What's going on here? Why is this happening?" <laughs> and only when they filmed it and Siama kind of like again in interviews, giggling and laughing like a school child. And <laughs> it's like, and then they realized that it looked like a vagina. Um, <laughs> like took that long to get there. But again, you have that sense of creating something that almost seems to be parodying the male gaze. Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. the joke there is that there's a lesbian sex scene, but it doesn't involve any what we would consider to be conventional sexual organs. But you can use that still, yeah. if you wish, <laughs> <laughs> to entice the men. <laughs> I think she said in a at a um a Q and A that it was um or she joked at a QA that that's where uh like the the other female clitoris was and the people in the audience genuinely believed it as well. <laughs> <laughs> if you deliver it with a straight enough is it face, not? 
Where's the first one? No. That's for another podcast. Don't quite have time to kind of delve into that. But again, like, and what I, what I really like about that was it makes that act of kind of looking in conversation kind of sexy. It makes that it's it's a very intellectually stimulating film where the act of conversation and the act of looking become kind of sexual of themselves, which is quite an accomplishment. Um, But going back to that, that scene that you just mentioned where they're like, you know, the way you do this and the way you do that and you, you know, that it's almost like his little twist that Heloise has been watching her back. So like we, Mm -hmm. we follow Marianne watching her all the time, trying to figure out her little tics. And it's in that little moment, which if I had to have a moment, it would have been that one where you realise that Heloise has been paying just as much attention to the artist as the artist has been paying to her. And I think that's gorgeous. I really liked that little moment. Yeah. I love the the bit as well, like the way they conceal their faces when they're out in the really windy, the bit mm-hmm. where they say, they say it's really windy. Now, the one little bit of the film I didn't really like, so they go out and say it's really windy, but it's not actually windy at all because there's nothing <laughs> moves in the wind. <laughs> I was watching it going, there's no, there's no What's fans, nothing, there's no wind, what's going on? <laughs> um, but that idea their faces are half concealed in these really cool um, kind of head scarves and that idea that like the eyes are really present, but then they kind of choose when to, you know, unveil their faces to each other. Mm. And I, I think oh, yeah. it was that scene that she described as like that's when they consent it's like when they consent to be involved you know so there is that mm. idea of consenting even if to the audience it's not that obvious that's what's going on i like it's that just that's, there yeah. Mm. yeah well i mean that's it to, to expose yourself becomes an act of consent and siam has talked about the the irony of this like because again you know this has been a huge success internationally in france itself it was only a moderate success uh, oh, French yeah, critics, that's right it yeah, wasn't French... uh wasn't that well uh well i didn't uh, I remember being quite surprised that it didn't do as well as I thought it would do in, in France on its initial oh. release. Yeah. Um, and there, there are kind of several factors around that. It didn't get submitted to as France's official selection for the Oscars this year. Um, it, three films went forward con- for contention. Uh, Les Miserables, uh, Proxima, which is the astronaut movie starring Eva Green, uh, which is uh, also stars Matt Dillon and is primarily in English. So I consider that a bit of a cheat. Um, and also this one, where the three films that were considered for French consideration for submission to the Oscars, uh, they went with uh, Les Miserables, uh, which did get a nomination in the end, to be fair. Has this come up before? Is her name Evergreen? Yes, it's Evergreen, sorry. Yeah. I just realized that recently because there's there's a thing on Cam, the meditation app, Mm. where like Evergreen can talk you to sleep. Um, Oh, really? Matthew McConaughey, (laughs) uh, I think, also does it. Oh, um, we're very worried about yeah. this kind of cornering the podcast target market, which is people who want to fall asleep. Yeah, other people talking. <laughs> this is what should be putting you to sleep. You don't want Evergreen or Matthew McConaughey putting you to sleep. You want this. Um, but no, it, it it didn't get that kind of push behind it from France. And um, Siam has talked about how one of the things was that French critics didn't find it sexy mm-hmm. enough, or particularly French yeah. male <laughs> critics didn't find it sexy enough. And again, this is part That's... of a larger conversation. Of course, I know. How I mean, very... On, like... <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so interesting, like, the idea of what sexy means to people, because this film is extremely sexy, but it isn't necessarily explicit. So, yeah. 
you can decide for yourself what you think sexy is, but this film's sexy. Yeah. End of story. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Come on. We've decided, so put that on your private book. <laughs> French critics. <laughs> but it's, it's true, so though. annoying. No, it's that so is ridiculous. True. It's so true. Yeah. yeah. They all bloody loved blue as the warmest colour, didn't they? <laughs> no, I was actually going to say something very rude, so I won't say it. <laughs> I do. We, do. we can believe it. I do. Go on. No, I was like. <laughs> No, it was no. It was more like it, it was. It's just kind of what Charlene was saying. It doesn't have to be a body part in your face before you have to be like, "This is a sexual moment in the film." Yeah. you know what I mean. It's just, uh, yeah. And going yeah. back then to like, this is why we need more films like this that explore sexuality and explore love in a way that is sexy. But and it's like it's not like it shies away from it. But like, you you don't need to see everything in order for something to be sexy, and that's good filmmaking. Uh, I do love, by the way, that that Aoife (laughs) describes it as a body part in your face, making Texas Chainsaw Massacre the sexiest movie ever. (laughs) I was going to name the body part, but I thought, look, family show. (laughs) Pick a body part that you think might be sexy. Um, uh, Kids have to learn about these things. It could be a push, depending on what director you are. But again, but again, that's that's the thing is where in France there is this conversation that's happening at the moment, and you know, again, France is having its own weird relationship to things like, say, the Me Too movement and kind of that sort of stuff. I mean, Siama very famously and and entirely like entirely rightly walked out of the Césaires when they chose to award Roman Polanski this year. Um, and yeah, you know, yeah, and um, I think um, the actor as well. Adele Hanel also left. It's because Adele Hanel had come forward as probably one of the first mainstream French actresses to 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 share her experience of onset abuse when she was a minor from a filmmaker that she worked with as well. So she'd been quite under scrutiny for from the French film industry for doing just that. So I think it was her her stand to I think her her initial walkout was the most sort of political movement of that night because she um I think she she said la haunt which was which is French for shame and kind of <laughs> just yelled at everyone and it was it was really really inspiring just to see that yeah. kind of um reactionary um no I don't stand for this anymore and and I think she's been um uh, front and centre of the movement there which hasn't been really existent and there's been a lot of apologists as well for it too. Yeah, France has kind of struggled to come to terms with that. It's worth noting by the way actually you mentioned those those uh, allegations uh, that she made against the French director Christophe uh, Ruggia. Mm-hmm. It's notable that like while nothing came of her allegations, he was arrested um, in January this year um, for abuse of a minor. Um, yeah. So again, an example of kind of these things being ignored and overlooked and France kind of struggling to come to terms with that. And again, you have Siama talking about how when she was making the film, and sorry, all this came from, I think, Aoife's observation about the veils and the, the pulling down of the scarf and that representing kind of consent. Because to Siama, that was very much a point in a French film to have this argument that, you know, consent is sexy, consent can be sexual, mm-hmm. it can be given in a way that is not you know, in a way that some reactionary voices claim that removes any sexual agency mm. or any sexiness from the sequence. It can be something that is very erotic of itself. And that sequence of pulling down your your mask, pulling down, literally removing the mask from your face, letting yourself be seen by another person is an act of consent and it is inherently sexual and it is very, very horny. Um, and I think that Siama kind of making that point, again, 
wonderful and tree subject, but also very, very clever filmmaker. Very good storytelling there and yeah. very pointed, which is remarkable. I mean, Charlene mentioned the idea of the subject staring out at the artist and kind of the observer being observed themselves. There's almost a sense in this film of it looking at you, looking at it, which is very yeah. clever as well. It's a film almost about how it's almost as much about how yeah. you as yeah. an audience member watching it watch films as it is a film, which is which speaks to why it's so quiet as well. It's sort of like there are so many empty spaces that aren't filled with dialogue or filled with music. It's just stark sound design and, um, you know, very minimal choice shots of where you're looking at someone or looking behind someone or um, and or there's something moving within the frame. It's it's to kind of challenge what your your perception is in in what you're looking at in, in, in a film as well. It's not something that's inherently spelt out for you in a really coherent plot. It's it's the it's everything that it is from the lack of music to uh how uh, the shots are even composed. It's mm. um it kind of challenges you to to interpret it your own way as well. Yeah. And to sit with it and give it space. Like that's what I really like about this film is that like when you're watching it, it's slow, doesn't you know, there's not like the the disruptor in the middle, you know, like it's it's just it keeps going and it keeps going. It's yeah. giving you all this space and time and you're sitting with people and and exactly how, you know, Heloise and, and Marianne get to know each other by sitting with each other. We're seeing them by sitting with them. It gives mm-hmm. you space. It doesn't overload with music. It doesn't tell you how to feel. You're just it just it allows this relationship to wash over you. It's beautiful. <laughs> Um, oh, you you have those kind of those shots, like Renuk mentioned those shots. You have those shots mm. where the camera is frequently in the position of other characters staring at one another. It's frequently these kind of head on yeah. shots looking at, and it's almost like the characters or the actors looking through the camera at you, which is again very striking. The act of you looking at them, looking at them. Mm. You even have, I think, is it uh, Marianne at one stage puts on the green dress and stares at her own reflection oh, yeah. with her kind of head cut off, mm. um, so she can basically draw um, Heloise. And again, you have this kind of reflection upon reflection upon reflection which is striking it's really striking that like i think i haven't tested this hypothesis but i think you could pause that film at any given moment and it would look like a classical painting like it would look like one of those paintings yeah it's extraordinary it's extremely yeah it's so painterly like the moments of her like eating her her dinner in the kitchen and like the way it's lit and the way it's just, shot. It, yeah, it's a, taking off the dress and running into the. It's incredible. Yeah. Like like the the shot of her running into the um the the ocean once she's taken off mm. the the dress. Like I I have it like on my uh on my wall in front of me as well. It's just the um the composition alone and the color. It's it's just so massively uh, constructed. Yeah. Even um Sophie's um embroidery, which would be yeah. something like the type of art that would like would have been considered domestic or women's art and like tapestry and embroidery and those kind of kind of tactile forms of art would often have been considered lower forms of art in inverted commas and like mm-hmm. that she creates this beautiful tapestry that you see a little or this beautiful piece of embroidery that you see a shot of that she's just been watching these flowers on the table sewing yeah. their image. Like she's an artist as well in her own way, but like it's 
you know that's just what she did and it's just what women did you know like made blankets yeah. and made things and yet they weren't considered just artists. make things yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. it's a whole other podcast about you know women in art today but like you know yeah. that, that really struck me as like wow she just did some beautiful embroidery there yeah. like you know so it's just these tiny moments when when i was looking at that i was just kind of struck by that image of her embroidering this uh vase and the the flowers in the uh, embroidered cloth are beautiful and colorful and vibrant and the flowers in the vase have died and i remember being struck by it but not really kind of um no knowing that there was something kind of profound about it but not really i guess um drawing the connection but it 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 just strikes me something that I had kind of written later on was the kind of value or like celebration of, I guess, regret or having these kind of memories. Having moments. Yeah. Mm. The, the, the ephemerality yeah. of yeah. the fact that, yeah. yeah, that nothing lasts forever and nothing's permanent, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have value. And isn't exactly. Because yeah, yeah, you can capture an art as well. People like mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, um, you know, have no regrets or kind of not think about the past and kind of move forward. But um, all of these things, whether you lose them for good reasons or not, they're all things that you've lost. Um, and they're, 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 they're things that give our, our, our lives so much richness than, than, than is just kind of there in the, in, in the present as, 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 as great as the present is. Um, and that that there is an idea that people kind of have to have to forget everything that or kind of push away everything that's ever happened to them um as if it's 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 no longer valuable because it's it's not it's not there and it's not here and now um and there, no it just seems something kind of really beautiful about how while while the flowers have all died there is still this kind of um, cloth tapestry, which uh, captures it, yeah, yeah, in in all in all its glory, yeah. I was going to say there's a there's a great speech at the end of a film called Call Me by Your Name that captures that very well. <laughs> Charlene, I've never heard of it. Um, did the screen at all? In the I'm literally like Andrew, you're just saying all the things that <laughs> that the dad says at the end of Call Me by Your Name. <laughs> Beautiful. Listeners will be very pleased to hear that he does have a Michael Stuhlbarg beard, actually. Yes, yeah. that's true. Yeah. He's so you can say it with authority. We have a new guest on the podcast. It's a gin and tonic. Hey. Excellent. Hey. But, but speaking of Call Me By Your Name, um, a valid reason for mentioning this film again, the last scene, uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Call Me By Your Name, but we're in mm. that territory. The last scene in Call Me By Your Name is Elio staring into the fire and music is playing over it. Like he, I don't think he's listening to that music but the music's playing over it and he's reflecting on his relationship uh, with Oliver and the very last scene in um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is like so similar I was just so similar I couldn't get over how I wondered if that was like on purpose or if it's just that's what I was trying to figure out as well I was like is this just how we end films now? Yeah, just <laughs> both are very effective. Yeah. Like it's not to yeah. take it away, but no. uh, but I think that's like that's clearly why I cannot see that film without thinking of Call Me by Your Name because they're yeah. very obviously very similar, um, and it's very very reductive of me to say like 
girl call me by your name or whatever yeah, yeah. but like those two <laughs> end shots are oh my god they're <laughs> like they're, they're so simple uh, what <laughs> Oh. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry, Darren. I don't speak good. French. Very good. Don't worry. I don't speak it either. It's fine. <laughs> I've been furtively Googling how to say, call me by your name en français. Hey. <laughs> uh, by the way, actually, very, very minor thing while we're talking about the French here that's worth mentioning and picking up on is um, actually throughout the film, the characters keep using the formal vous as opposed to two. Um, oh, they only rarely do So you have that maintaining of kind of distance between them emotionally. And again, even, this, this, even as the film develops, like even towards even, the end. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you notice, like, particularly towards the end, I think that they only mm. use two once over the course of the film, which is when they're discussing the picture. Um, oh. And it's almost as if that gives them the intimacy between them to actually drop the, the, the formal and use the informal. It's, That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it's such a pity we don't have that in English. You know, they like those things you miss in translations that you'll only mm. get if you're watching the actual original, you know, if you speak the original language that like you'd never, yeah. we just don't have that equivalent in English. So you just mm. imagine being French watching that or speaking French, you'd get it immediately. Whereas like, uh, yeah, nuance. Layer. Yeah, nuance. Mm. Well. <laughs> but I, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, the French don't have Thomas Hardy points, though. I it's mean, so really, that's true. <laughs> like, we don't have the formal kind of you and you, but we have the we have the plural um, of you in in Dublin, which is yeah. Uh, what is it? Is it Yezers? Yezer. Yezer. Yeah. Yezer. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like Y I Z Z R as well. Like, there's no yeah. R. Yezer. I feel like it would be a very different film if every time they were addressing each other, they called themselves Yezer. Well, I, I was like, I don't know why the subtitles didn't have it. Um. Call me by Yezer name. <laughs> or use. Use. Call me by his name. <laughs> in the context of that kind of Sorry. social division and social divide actually it's and again to bring it back to that moment that Eve and Andrew talk about where you know Sophie is kind of sewing um that that's a beautiful sequence because you have that weird paradox where the maid is creating art the lady is doing the cooking and the artist is just kind of hovering around enjoying being at her leisure and you have that kind of sense of like in this space where there are just women even class barriers break down. Yeah. Even kind of social divisions yeah, yeah. break down. And you have this almost kind of utopian fantasy of a world where everybody's just allowed to be whatever. I really like that be. in the film That's in general, part, yeah. that how they take her under their wing immediately. Like there's not even a like, oh, the maid girl needs our help. It's like, it's just kind of like, right, cool. How, we sort, how do we sort this out for you? Like, and that's it. Social barriers get like, destroyed because these women just have a bit of space to themselves. I actually <laughs> love that tableau shot of them in the uh in the kitchen it's just really mm. still it doesn't nothing i don't think they say anything they just um they're they're cooking some food they're just hanging about it's yeah. like you know i can't imagine the same equivalent in the lighthouse at all it's just like you know this is what happens <laughs> very different own, tableau you know? <laughs> they're not cooking lobster here no <laughs> and actually just in terms of that kind of like reference to, to kind of like ephemerality that Andrew kind of mentioned that sense of the flowers being dead mm -hmm. in the vase and again this is a nice segue back to the call me by your name stuff where you have and again I'm kind of wary of, of presenting myself as an authority I'm not I've, I've just read a bit about it and much smarter people than I have talked about it but this idea that in LGBT cinema and in gay cinema and again this is kind of that subversion stuff that Siama was talking about where 
traditionally the narratives of gay cinema have been narratives of tragedy for historical and social reasons most obviously because homosexuality was largely illegal and not recognized as a valid expression of love historically speaking in in many western cultures so you have the sense that any love affair has to end in at at best separation of one of the two if not death or destruction and then obviously like even in the 20th century you have things like the AIDS crisis where the default narrative in like everything from Philadelphia to rent becomes well if you have or angels in America even becomes if you have these this gay affair these characters one of them is going to die and it's going to be tragic you're going to feel very sad about it and so you have this kind of default narrative of kind of gay relationships being relationships that are less permanent than heteronormative kind of marriage is assumed to be even mm. though obviously you know half of marriages end in divorce or a third of marriages end in divorce so it's not necessarily entirely reflective but in terms of how they're portrayed culturally and i kind of you you see in recent years this reclaiming of that and again call me by your name is part of this and i think that this is part of it as well mm. where instead of you have you have several branches of it you have queer or gay or lgbt narratives that are based around the idea that actually no this sort of love doesn't have to be impermanent. It can actually yeah. find its way back and be permanent. And you see that in, say, films like Moonlight, for example, where mm. you have these two characters who have this fleeting moment of connection and it's broken. But at the end, they, they come back together and they manage yeah. to find a meaningful relationship and that's beautiful and they're in love and it's wonderful. Or even, say, Cloud Atlas, where you have the characters played <laughs> by Ben Whishaw and um, is it uh, Hugh Dancy? Um, no, not Hugh Dancy. But, Ed, but you have these two characters who are in an affair at a time where they can't be together but the film enables them to imagine a time later on where they can be and they can yeah. overcome those hurdles and they can have the connection they never have but then you have films like say call me by your name and portrait of a lady on fire which acknowledge that even though these affairs naturally end and even though the characters are aware that they must end i mean obviously you could argue that timothy chalamet's character in you know call me by your name only gradually comes to that realization Hmm. But that sense of impermanence. But we know uh, that, yeah. right? Like we're we're kind of yeah. by the end of the film, we're like, you'll be okay. You know, it's just, yeah. it's over. <laughs> I mean, it's allowing it's allowing gay relationships to be Casablanca. Yeah. You know, it's allowing them to be like gorgeously sad and romantic and beautiful because love stories, the best love stories don't have to have happy endings necessarily, but they have to be meaningful and they have to have had an impact on these people. So that's why I really love the idea of gay relationships being given that kind of non-tragic sad beautiful ending it's gorgeous and like it's not about it's not about suffering it's about having experienced this thing and like you know we should all be so lucky as to experience that you know like it's it's a it's gorgeous way of representing things and I think both of those films do it really really well and I think the um just back to what you said about this idea of of um something fleeting and it being beautiful in itself and these experiences just being um uh, you know worthy of their own existence there's something about both those films for me um filmically and it's just the way they're edited and the way they're shot that um it, it's like they intentionally want to exist they're making it in a way so that it exists in your mind as a memory that there's yes. something about the um mm. effervescent you know, elliptical style of these, you know, small details and call me by your name in the same way it is really tactile and um, there's lovely little vignettes and moments that you recall later on. It's like it's it's permeating itself into your memory by watching it and it's not hitting you until 
later on because it it needs to be seen as something that exists in your memory the way these moments are for these characters as well and I think that's why they're so lasting and they just bury in under your skin because they just come back and hit you in an emotional gut punch every time. Portrait of a Lady on Fire kind of goes a little bit further by like having actual bookends. <laughs> so it begins with Marianne teaching a class and the, they, they ask this of her. And then it's <clears> almost <throat> like we tread through the story and then we get back to present day. And I think that's really beautiful. And I Call Me By Your Name has that similar setup towards the end. As in, we get to have a after that, then this happened. Um, but I really liked the the start of Portrait of Lady on Fire and why they did that. That bookend works very well for me. Yeah, and the literal book that's in the end. Yeah. Of it oh yeah, well, <laughs> literal <laughs> bookend. Oh. It was such a like that was such a nice moment where, in a way, it's kind of like it is tragic that you know Eloise is remembering her in this way and is very deliberately opening the book Mm. on this page and that's their little symbol that their little talisman that they carry together in their minds um but it was just a beautiful way of saying like you're you're still with me and she's probably there very in inverted commas successfully having the life she's supposed to have where she's married and she has a child and you know society expects these things of her and it's just so nice that like she's she still carries it with her so it's tragic but it's also really romantic at the same time um you know and the fact that they see each other it, well i don't know if they actually they don't see each other but marianne sees that wasn't the the event at the end so they don't have that connection but you wonder like could they not have could she not have gone over and talked to her or whatever but she just leaves it as this this perfect thing that it was supposed to be and it was that was that's it kind of you know well i mean eloise is, is clearly remembering the affair herself because exactly this she's, she's listening to the four seasons which mm-hmm. were memorably recreated for her um by sort of uh, marianne in the middle of the film actually so you have that looking at somebody looking at something else again that look and you're looking you're looking at marianne who's looking at eloise yeah. looking at the orchestra yeah um, I mean, I was very dismissive of that final shot, I suppose, earlier, because I was like, oh, it can't be right there. But like that <laughs> final shot, and, like, <laughs> literally like staring at Heloise and just going like, just, just do it, just a tiny bit, turn your eye, please. And like, I feel like she did see her. That's my feeling. But like that she didn't feel like she could look at her. Um, I, I know there's no definite answer to that, but that's my feeling. And it's just, it's horrific to watch. And so she's such a good actress. Like, yeah. Oh, and I love it's her face. How loud like, that is like, like the emotion that just swims over you watching it is because everything's been so quiet up until that point. And then it's just like this massive big yeah. wall of sound and emotion. You're just like, even the characters would haven't really reach that level of emotionality yeah, or good point, heavy yeah. breathing or heart beating it's just it's just exhilarating to watch at that point uh, I just yeah that's when everyone starts crying it's a gorgeous final shot yeah <laughs> everyone um, except me and Darren <laughs> <laughs> the unfeeling robots that we are yes. I appreciate the references that have gone into this and the thought that went into the composition um, it is an adequate final shot but no, um, the Here's a piece of trivia for you, actually, and I think you guys might appreciate this. You know, Charlene was wondering, you know, was that final shot inspired by Call Me By Your Name? And mm-hmm. Celine Siama hasn't directly answered that question one way or the other, but she has argued that she took inspiration from the greatest lesbian love story of our times in telling this. Her biggest inspiration in sort of constructing this film was to look at what she considers to be the biggest, most successful, most culturally impactful lesbian love story of all time titanic 
Oh. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, she, she argues basically that if you look at the way in which Titanic's constructed, particularly the way in which Leonardo DiCaprio um, and a lot of those 90s kind of heartthrobs with the blonde hair and the kind of foppish design as well <laughs> kind of have that almost androgynous look. But the way yeah, in which yeah. kind of the, the way in which it's portrayed is kind of tender. It's a, the love affair is a lot more tender than you get in kind of, you know, something when you think back to kind of like something like Gone with the Wind, for example. Yeah. By comparison. You have <laughs> it's the not idea very of, tender. <laughs> no, not very tender at all. But you have this idea of kind of Jack being very effeminate. And so you have the relationship between the two. I kind of love the idea that Siama has talked about, it, like sincerely, genuinely being a major influence uh, on this film and kind of inspiring this film. Because she, she sees Titanic as one of those tragic gay love stories where like, even though Jack is technically a man, <laughs> this lesbian love affair cannot be allowed to stand it has to be broken up by tragedy at the end because you expect it to be and so jack is ironically one of those separated lesbian lovers which is kind of interesting um darren that's the only the only thing you could possibly have said to me that would make me want to watch titanic again <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm in <laughs> I mean the entire premise of Portrait of a Lady on Fire is that she wants her to be drawn like one of her French girls yeah this is a good Correct. point yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. I like this thank you for sharing <laughs> so Timothée Chalamet could could um, could be like a, a star of a gay love story but also he could he could be the star of a lesbian love story as well because presumably oh, yeah. in anything oh, he would be in he he would he, he would also be giving that kind of you know um, how how did how did you describe uh, Leonardo DiCaprio foppish effeminate yeah, yeah either or yeah um I not to not to always go back to typical Chalamet <laughs> but uh, it would be remiss of me to not mention that the last time we were all together having a chat it was Little Women another film where a lady gets set on fire. Oh yeah, that's true. yeah exactly, on fire. exactly the same thing. So maybe that's why you thought of us, Darren. Mm, it's just in the cultural zeitgeist. It's just like it's simmering through. It's really interesting that those two that those two films have that weird yeah. motif. It's like two years ago when you had all those CGI deers miraculously appearing in films yeah, for some reason. Exactly. Um, it's, <laughs> it's like what is Hollywood something's happening in Hollywood I don't know what it is but something is definitely happening it's like this like weird thing where all those like producers who have been accused of sex crimes are like burn all the women I think that's what it is (laughs) that's probably how do you explain the CGI deer then I'm kind of curious what what they're all bet into like their their gun control rights and they're like if you'd let Uh, us go hunting the deer (laughs) they wouldn't be causing all these car crashes in our movies there you go that's that's solved (laughs) It's like I am a Hollywood producer. (laughs) Um, And then just finally, one more thing then. Um, Worth noting, the actual portraits from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, They're all painted by an artist called Helene Delamere. Mm, She painted 16, uh, apologies, yeah. She painted 16 Mm. hours uh, every day during the course of filming. They actually use her hands. Um, Whenever you see Marianne drawing, Mm -hmm. those are typically her hands Oh, that's interesting. I loved watching the hands. I really loved watching the hands. It it was like watching... Watching the, the recent film of Vincent Van Gogh, um, uh, loving Heaven, Vincent, at Turnley's Gate. Turn oh, that one, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. Willem Dafoe. So, yeah, Willem, Willem Dafoe. Yeah. It's, it's just like the same idea of like just watching a, a painter at work and just seeing their process is like mm. the most satisfying experience. Yeah. And that they do that 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 they spend so that she spends so much time focusing on it in in portrait just shows how much it's underlining like the talent and the eye that she has as well because it's like yeah, you know. 
beautiful. It, they yeah. really sell it. Like they really sell yeah. it. Yeah. Just, yeah. Super talented. Like actually her, her own paintings are fantastic as well. Like she's on Instagram. I think Celine Siama shared her uh, last week and pictures from the set of her wearing Marianne's dress and her being able to show uh, Naomi Milan how, to, you know, the the technique as well. And just her own work is so vividly modern as well, which is one thing about her, mm. um, the style of those paintings always did have that kind of slightly more modern um, kind of painterly yeah. style to it, which I quite liked. And I, I love when there are these expressions within the, the process of painting, like the her burning the portrait is just such a powerful emotional image as well yeah like it's just something of um the art of painting itself just hasn't really been um been looked at in that way alone um but yeah absolutely her paintings are just fantastic and it just occurred to me as well there that like the portrait we didn't really talk about the the portrait that marianne was painting of Heloise compared to the portrait she actually painted of her Mm -hmm. while she was on fire which is uh, you know the the portrait that they mentioned that they show at the start and the the huge difference between the female mm. gaze and the male gaze I suppose if you want to compare the two yeah. is just like sums up I suppose everything that the film is trying to say but it's like from a, the female gaze is from a distance is really of the person in a moment a moment of danger but like really how she experienced her at the time and it's not formally posed and it's it's so interesting to compare compare the two yeah do you know one one thing I do want to bring up in in a comparison for me a film that was constantly jumping up in my head when I saw it first was Jane Campion's The Piano mm. even from yeah. the first moment of them being on the boat going mm. to this island the kind of the landing on a beach you know artistic endeavors going overboard and um even things like silence and um, always having to exist in this kind of patriarchal system. There's there's so much in the language of of uh, that film that just kept jumping up in my head the whole way through. Um, so much that I had to go and see the film or, or, or watch the film again countless times. You know, um, I haven't seen that film in years and years, but like you're so right. It just it, my memory of it isn't great, but it ev- it evokes that film a lot. I'm going to rewatch that. Good shout, Rainock. Yay! <laughs> um, I, 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 I really enjoyed seeing um, Valeria um, uh, Galino again. Yeah. Hot shots. Yeah, yeah hot yeah. shots. Hot and she's in. I, mean, I was trying to think what <laughs> else is she in, and uh, she's in Rain Man, of course. <laughs> but yeah, oh, right. no, I, I, I was thinking so much of hot shots. She was so funny. In, in, yeah, she was. She has um, <coughs> she has aged really beautifully. Oh yeah, like really beautifully. I love, I loved looking at her. Actually, I, I, I've seen her in a couple of things over the years. She, but um, she has the widest white oh eyes. Oh my god, unreal! Um, yeah, it's because she she flosses. <laughs> <laughs> it's good ocular hygiene, Andrew. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> The Contessa is actually a kind of an interesting character um, she in, is. in the way that she kind of brings up because she's lived this experience that the women mm. have and there's a sense of her being sympathetic but also, you know, kind of more cynical and more jaded about it. Where, well, there's a certain she, selfishness to her as well yeah. because she's dying to get back to this Milan, to Milan this life yes. that she <laughs> wanted. So like she she knows that this is not great, but she doesn't really care. 
but also like I'm sure the life in Milan is great and all. But like, you I mean, know. they have they have orchestras there, right? They uh, have orchestras. Music. Yeah, they sure do. Painting <laughs> galleries or something. And um, husbands. <laughs> <laughs> Milan, chief exporter of husbands in the region. <laughs> but yeah, no, there is. That was kind of what I was getting at with the, with the, the Contessa, because she gets at the mm. sense in which there is a sense of kind of complicity in there. Because I mean, for all, and the film does create this space where women can be women and can be together and you can break down the social order. You have the mm. sense of, of the Contessa almost kind of serving as somebody who has accepted and kind of almost internalized the rules to an extent. She's aware that they're unfair. Yeah, but, but she she's not a villain. Like they don't make her a villain, but it's like she is the, I mean, I guess if you had to pick one, she's the antagonist, but I don't think the film presents her like that. I no. think she's just like, this is the way of the world and this is how we escape this. Yeah. And it's where that, yeah, so she, she, she was taken from Milan to this kind of island and the yeah. irony of this island being where Marianne and Eloise can be free together, mm. but then wanting to use Eloise to get back to Milan so she can be free. And this kind of relationship that exists between the two in that sense of kind of like, you know, almost trading each other's happiness. Again, that sense of being subject to the, the whims of men, um, even in the spaces that, you know, are your own, where, you know, in order to get to Milan, she needs the suitor to accept the painting. And in order to get to the island, she needed to be taken from Milan by her husband. Mm, yeah. And you have the sense that even these spaces, which can be idealized and can be feminized, are still defined and shaped by men, even when they're yeah. absent. And, yeah. and that you have to accept that, you know, that there's yeah. a level of um, you have to kind of be complicit and accept the boundaries that are placed there for you. And that like sometimes you have to be shaken up to realize, oh, hang on, I actually maybe don't have to accept that or maybe I don't have to. But like your life is going to be a lot more difficult if you decide you don't want to marry the guy who was supposed to marry your sister or whatever so um mm. accepting Ugh. the fact that women have to accept <laughs> their fate in a way at certain times is kind of grim yeah but, mm. uh, in an inevitability of it too yeah all right um is there anything else we want to talk about anything we haven't discussed already anything we've missed the only thing i was going to say was the um app- kind of apparitions of uh, oh, yeah. in her wedding dress oh yes that's the this well is it an apparition that it is an apparition yeah this is the second time or pre- premonition premonition yeah. yeah, yeah. I did I didn't like that if there was one thing I'd have to I say did. about this film that I didn't like I didn't like that <laughs> one thing. it felt that's very it, and that is the only thing I would say I was just yeah. like nah I don't like that it felt like it felt like it didn't need it right it didn't yeah it didn't need it it didn't bring anything to or it didn't it. belong I, I guess. It belonged in a Kate Bush video, <laughs> which I'm all, all right. for. Which but... is all, which all yeah, yeah, fine. absolutely. Sorry, Rena. Yeah. yeah, I like. I I I thought there was this kind of this, this sort of spookiness of that. I really liked because even from the moment you're introduced to, um, to to Eloise and you see her with this lovely big black cloak, and there's something quite gothic about the mm. house and about that kind of weird it felt kind of Daphne du Maurier yeah you know level of spooky as opposed to like you know um you know woman in black kind of spooky mm. it's it just feels I I I, le- I let it have that moment just because I like that little undercurrent of spookiness I I feel All like it's something that I would think was a good idea if I was the filmmaker and that people should <laughs> would have, should have told me I didn't need and I'd probably fight them but they'd be right <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of agree with you, Rena, as in like like every part of me believes that everything should be pushed to the edge of gothic as far as possible. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it was the one thing I went like, hmm, nah. no, you don't need it. I yeah. think they missed a key, key yeah. crossover with the lighthouse. I think it would have made more sense if she appeared oh in that God, dress in the lighthouse just <laughs> oh. randomly. 
<laughs> there are plenty of seagulls as yeah. well on that beach because it's yes. just felt like the rest of the film is so rooted in reality and in what's mm. actually happening yeah, right in yeah. front of them and what they see and in the moment and then you have the premonition of wedding dress and it's like what sorry hang on what's it's curious you know i would I mean? i'd like yeah. to hear celine siama to talk to, i'd like to hear her speak about that like why why that was included because it does seem odd yeah like agree or disagree i'd actually be really interested to hear what she has to say about it because I mean I don't think it was an accident like yeah you know it's, it's a very considered film <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just throw well, it, it was in either, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh no she's in the background in a wedding it was dress. either it was either going to be that or Cthulhu <laughs> um, like it was either going to be like her as a kind of a spectral apparition or else there was going to be a bizarre tentacle sea monster. Um, I'd prefer yeah, that. Yeah, but if it felt... <laughs> it, it, it did feel quite disconnected, much like that statement in The Lighthouse where Willem Dafoe explains the concept of orchestras to Robert Pattinson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think that about wraps it up in terms of talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But before we go, we normally ask our guests, and particularly at this time when listeners are kind of maybe isolated kind of cut off from the world to have a recommendation. So something that you're enjoying at the moment, it can be something related to the film, something unrelated to the film. It could be a book, a TV, a podcast. It could be an experience. It's something that basically brings you joy at this particular moment. So while I give you guys a moment to think about that, I'm going to ask Andrew. Okay. Um, so um, full disclosure, this author is a, a, a great friend of mine. My, 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 my good friend, Katie McCabe, um, has written a fantastic book called More Than a Muse. And it seems very apropos to our discussion um, earlier because it's about creative partnerships that sold talented women short, about kind of the the, the idea about how, how many times you've seen a woman artist solely referred to as the wife, girlfriend, as the muse or the mistress as um, of a man in the public eye. We, we spoke about um, Dora Maher, and uh, Lee Lee Krasner, it's 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 stories about those um, women and others um, who've each kind of um, had this um, experience of being of being um, uh, overshadowed um, by by their 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 well known um, uh, male partners, um, and in in creative partnerships. And it uh, like like it, it it's a very very important word partner, um, um. But it, they get reduced to being a wife or to being a muse, where where they were where they were very much yeah 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 yeah. So I, I'll I'll recommend that. Um, another thing that I've been enjoying has been the a podcast, um, by the um. McElroy brothers, who people might know from my brother, my brother and me, um, they have a podcast called The Adventure Zone. Um, and the reason I got into it was because a guest of our podcast, um, Andy Mellowish, um, has uh, started a Dungeons and Dragons game with myself and other guests from the 250, uh, Donald Sweeney and Marianne Cassidy. Um, so we're, we're, um, that's something that I'm kind of looking forward to, but it's a, it's a, it's a Dungeons and Dragons, uh, podcast. Yes, this is what the effect of the, uh, the, um, 
<laughs> isolation or the shutdown is having on me. It, but but it's it okay. As, on, eh? Yeah, as as, as pointed on. out. <laughs> uh, very bad, Darren. Thank you. Um, um, but um, as pointed out, it used to be that Dungeons and Dragons was the nerdiest thing <laughs> that a person can do. But now there is such a thing as LARPing. Oh, yeah. So um, <laughs> it's there's no longer the same stigma. So there you go. Thank, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> and Charlene, what would you recommend? Um, I, I've been getting to watch very little um, in my in, in my isolation, um, which is something I hope to change very soon uh, now that I have a four-day weekend. But um, I've been re-watching AbFab, which has been... Absolutely brilliant. I recommend that everyone rewatches AbFab because it is exactly what you need right now. Um, another thing that I recommend now that it's over, I feel like it's okay to recommend it, um, is the Stephen King adaptation, The Outsider, uh, which was, I guess, a HBO thing. And it's it's on now TV. Um, I thought it was one of the best Stephen King adaptations I've seen in a long time. It's a book that I really liked. Um, but the miniseries is really, it's well, it's a 10-parter or whatever. Really, really great. Um I'd recommend that if anybody hasn't seen it yet and you like a really Ben Mendelsohn good... and Jason Bateman, right? And, yeah, uh, yeah. Cynthia yeah, Arrivo. Cynthia Arrivo, yeah. Um, and it's 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 just great. Like it's a really good, solid thriller. Uh, gets into horror, but it's also like just in the best way Stephen King does this. It's about like Americana. Uh, I'd also recommend the book. Actually, it, it, they're they're quite different in a lot of ways. Um, another thing that I'm I feel like I should just mention because uh because of what we're discussing right now is I'm still waiting for this book to arrive. So I haven't read it yet, but it's called She Found It at the Movies, and it's a it's a collection of essays about uh women finding their desire via film. Uh, edited by Christina Newland, and I'm just going to read you the the little uh, the thing that got me to buy it, and this is the uh, this is what it says. It says because Timothy Chalamet's eyes gleam with the light of a thousand suns, because you'd let Zoe Kravitz get away with putting gum in your hair, and because there really should be a national monument dedicated to Gene Kelly's ass. That is why <laughs> um, I'm very much looking forward to reading this book. And I think oh God, that, I need that female desire or like things that awaken female desire in cinema is something we don't talk about enough yeah. because yeah, uh, yeah, we're yeah, half yeah. the cinema going audience or more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like a Mount, Mount Asmore, but there's just, just Gene one. Kelly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Does, does it imply there's four cheeks then? <laughs> but it, it, it yeah. Do you know they they they've been building a, a is it sitting bull? They've been building it for 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 a very long time. It's it's the kind of same idea as Mount Rushmore, where they're like carving it out of a mountain, but it's much bigger. Um, so that, so there there are mountains in America that you could. Okay, well that's um, my new. If I had anything uh, to do with America, I would make that happen. Um, just very quickly before we move on to that, it's worth noting that there is, if you are interested in monuments to American presidents, there's apparently this park you can go to in America, which is populated by all these ruined monuments, kind of dilapidated and uncared oh, for, for like all the presidents of America. These kind of monuments and busts that were built for inaugurations and celebrations all get sent to this little field somewhere. And you can wander around. You've got like Lincoln with half his face A mixing. monument but, graveyard. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Where it's, is that, Darren? It's in the States. I don't know. We'll include in the show notes. It's one of those half okay. obscure things. But I'd like to imagine it's <laughs> like the real, 
the real life version of the opening credits of GoldenEye is what I'd like to imagine that it's like. <laughs> um, but Renuk, that is is the opening credits of GoldenEye. Is that in the, in the suburbs of Budapest? Because I I've 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 been to the to the communist um they they have a communist statue park yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, where they where they where they have all of the old kind of ones that were torn down after the, the, fall, of the kind of fall of the Berlin yeah, Wall. So there's a, yeah. basically an American president's theme park version of that, um, wow. which is well worth seeking out. Sorry, Renuk, what would you recommend? Uh, one thing that's been giving me a lot of comfort these days is movie. Um, mm. I've really, really enjoyed the game that they've been. Um, that they've been playing in the last while like since the start of isolation every single film that they've um a choice has been radically different to the last and they've had a mel uh jean-pierre melville um season throughout the last month they had a lot of bong joon ho they've had more South korean film and noir and baccarat and silence uh, for saint patrick's day as well and mm. silence as well which was an excellent choice um and don't forget Southland Tales as well um, <laughs> and Portrait of a Lady on Fire it's just every single day it's sort of the first thing I want to do is just kind of check to see what yeah, you get your little email is. every day and you're like ooh yeah, and like, <laughs> <laughs> back around Great to myself yeah and um yeah I think like it, it's you know you can get really bored even before quarantine, just going on Netflix and having that kind of sad scroll through things and just going, uh, uh, you know, you just sort of, you know, there's this time limit on maybe and it's going to be, it's going to be something. It might, might not be completely your ticket, but there'll be something new that you otherwise would never have come across um, between these big movies that you do love and mm. like Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Old Boy and Lady Vengeance and... um you know, every Zach Korean moving under the sun. It's, there's, there's probably some movie from Argentina that's a domestic drama that, you know, may have gone to Rotterdam five years ago and faded away into oblivion, but you otherwise would never have seen it other than maybe. And apart from that, I've been listening to a lot of jazz. <laughs> um, and not only because my partner has started to learn the trumpet and is nowhere near the level of Miles Davis yet, but um, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's inspiring a lot of our music choices. And definitely since this week, listening to a lot of John Prine um, has brought a lot of solace uh, to, to such a sad week. Can I can I uh can I recommend um Lee Lee Morgan um as a, a, a jazz trumpet player that you don't yeah, kind yeah. of I guess hear hear maybe about um as much about um as he maybe deserves and uh an album of his uh Cornbread yeah. is for 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 yourself and your partner if you're if you're if you're looking for something on Spotify okay sweet yeah um, is is Cool. It's worth noting on the movie situation. Um, I used to do this kind on podcasts, and we had a guest on that. Uh, he's also guested here, Ronan, Ronan Doyle. Fantastic mm -hmm. taste in movies, but he would have so much to watch that he would only get around to watching movie movies like the day before they were <laughs> removed. And yeah. then he would come into the podcast and he'd be like, yeah, you have to see this movie. It's fantastic. <laughs> and it's like, how do I watch this movie, Ronan? It's like, never mind, <laughs> but you have to oh. see it, uh, which is great. Yeah, I'm a bit of a devil for that as well. Yeah. yeah, I that always like if there's one that I've been like, oh yeah, I'll watch it. Like um, 
like a Mustang was on for ages and I kept meaning to watch it again and, and then of course I had to watch it the the day you know like it's leaving at midnight yeah, yeah. You're like, it's 10 o'clock, I need to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can remember the last 14 minutes. Um, Although, interestingly on movie, if you start it before midnight, it will not stop it at midnight. I learned that. <laughs> oh, that's really handy. Because I thought yeah. that, that's what put me off watching the bling ring. Because No, I can't remember it what like, it was. Mm-hmm. I started at like half 11 or quarter past 11 and it, it kept going. And we were like, thank God. I think we had to pause it at some point and we were like... But we did, and it was okay. So <laughs> to, that's good to know. To defend to defend Netflix and their algorithm, I think they picked up that I was learning German, and started kind of recommending a lot of German movies, like a feature. It'll be the one when oh, you open Netflix ah, and come up with German. like the listeners can't see this, but Rena oh, is wow. holding up a German for Dummies book. Einfachklasse, Einfachklasse. <laughs> um. Also what? worth noting um, on that's Netflix. That's first well. class in German. That's all I remember yes. from my. Wunderbar. Uh, yeah, wunderbar. Thank you, That's literally Bitte all I remember. Schön. I can tell you how to go to the train station. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Going <laughs> house. There you go. Um, uh, with regards to that, actually, on Netflix, they determined that, like, you know, the way when it asks you movies that you like on Netflix when you sign up, they oh. discovered that they would just ignore world cinema because everybody said they liked world cinema but never picked world cinema films when Netflix <laughs> recommended it to them. Which I kind of like Netflix selling tales. But Aoife, what would you recommend? Cool. Um, Yeah, you know, it's been a kind of... um, Actually, one thing about the Netflix thing before I go on to my sad, sorry tale of global pandemic affecting what I watch um, or listen to. um, I only realized recently that Netflix give you different covers of the... Uh, you know different images for the uh, for the films that you're watching that you want to they want to kind of put in your face or whatever so they kind of determine your taste and tell you which star you think you'll like most of all make you watch films which <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy um so yeah like I find it kind of hard with the kind of not to mention the c word the coronavirus or whatever and um, I might like my work is all about it so I just can't escape it so it's like I find it hard to switch off um which has been kind of like distressing um so I haven't watched as much stuff as I'd like to or even just read as much stuff or anything but the few bits and bobs that I found myself going towards um the uh Sarah Baum the writer who's written two really great novels um um, a line made by walking and spill simmer yes exactly so handiwork is her new book and it's such a lovely little treat when your brain is kind of melted from all the horrible news because it's not a novel it's um a piece of non-fiction kind of almost memoir-ish but it's about being creative and um it's these little snapshots of her life as an artist and writer and it you know it's a start it's all about what it is in her home and the space she creates in and then it moves into talking about her father and her family's connection to being creators and then about her father passing away so it's a bit about grief and her connection to creativity and him through through making and it's just like such such a lovely little book to read like I keep by the side of my bed and I like read a couple of pages Mm. before I go to sleep and it's very relaxing there's no mentions of any drama (laughs) in it so I really like that um and then um music wise I keep for whatever reason I keep finding myself listening to loads of Rufus Wainwright who I really love um but I hadn't listened in ages to his album back in the game no no out of the game that's totally different album sorry out of the game Mm. and uh which he made in like 2012 and it's like just the perfect album for just like a kind of a sing-along 
pop uh baroque kind of record um it's so good and it just totally gets you out of your head when you want to listen to something that's really bright and lovely and he's doing lots of lovely instagram um videos he calls them quarantunes so it's him in his robe and his <laughs> piano every day singing a song from his back catalog and he's somebody whose music like means a lot to me but i hadn't really listened to it in a while so it was really nice to go back to like you know spend time with his music and him and listen to that and that's just been lovely and then the final thing is bon appetit videos i just i'm like mainlining them like some sort of you know like anti-anxiety drug or something they just kind of calm me <laughs> right down um so i'm just watching them and youtube algorithm keeps giving me better ones i haven't seen before yeah. so um today i was watching about all of their kitchens so that was entertaining me um so i highly recommend that if you're feeling like kind of stressed out which i think we all have been feeling of late um and seinfeld watching a lot of old seinfeld stuff okay oh, yeah. oh you need yeah, your little panels. 25 minute Oh take away from reality yeah <laughs> yeah just give yes. me terrible people being funny for 25 minutes yeah great yeah. <laughs> Frasier's another good one for that yeah. parks and rec is definitely another one oh, I love parks yeah. And rec. yeah i've actually yeah. found myself watching brooklyn 99 actually in, in my oh, oh good choice yeah much it's yeah. a much warmer sort of hug i think rather than kind of the yeah. gold deserving these people are terrible and i'm trapped with them yeah um, <laughs> the, op- the opposite side of the coin yeah. Yeah, yeah i was feeling like i can suggest brooklyn 99 at any time mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Sopranos like like, as well. Let's 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 stop trying to figure out what we're going to watch and just kind of <laughs> watch Brooklyn Nine Nine. Really. Um, and very quickly, in terms of recommendations from me, um, just a couple of related to the film that we just discussed. Um, Emerald uh, Fennel's Promising Young Woman, uh, which is also mm. the Film Festival, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, is yeah. currently one of my films of the year. Uh, when will we I get don't... to see that, though, Darren? <laughs> what? Yeah, when, when this ends eventually, this will be one to watch. Um, oh. I don't know when it's coming out. How it was it's supposed out, to be out next coming... week. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's brilliant. I absolutely it. And it does similar sort of things to this, which is a very odd thing to say about two movies that are very tonally different. But it is very much about that kind of tension that exists between the male gaze and male expectations and the female gaze and, and kind of female expectations within that. I'd also recommend uh, Rose Glass's St. Maud. Uh, which oh, I also it's so good. It's amazing, isn't it? I love it. It's probably um, great, yeah. Whenever that also comes out. As yes, well. as well. 2022. Um, yeah. um, oh, and so some good. small, some smaller ones as well. Uh, Sarah Gavron's Rocks, uh, which is a kind mm. of small, oh, yeah. kind of very intimate, kind of British. It's Why are you story teasing about... us with all these, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> all right, fine. I'll give you one you can actually watch then, listeners. Uh, I'll give you a recommendation that you can use right now, uh, which is actually Rafiki, um, which is the oh, Kenyan yeah. film from about Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, I heard about yeah. this. Absolutely worth seeking out. A very good, almost a perfect companion piece of this. It's yeah. set in the modern day. It's incredibly poppy. I think it's part of the Afro bubblegum movement is what they call it. Is that what they this... call it? I yeah. love it. And tell me watching <laughs> it that you can't see that label working. It is so poppy, so bright, so colourful, so energetic. And it's again, yeah. it's a story about two young girls who have this kind of awakening. And there's this tension about if it's going to be a tragic narrative and that sort of thing within it. But it has such a joy de vivre. And I absolutely adored it. Um, anyway, if listeners are looking for a bit more Charlene, a bit more Renuk, a bit more Aoife in their lives, where can they find you guys online? Um, uh, You can find me on like everything. Charlene at Charlene Lydon on like Twitter and Facebook whatever the other one uh instagram uh but i i can't help but plug <laughs> that uh i myself and chelsea morgan hoffman have done our first ever whoop whoop. cinema book club podcast whoop. 
uh, after eight years of saying we were going to do it, we put it out there in the world. So uh, look for at Cinema Book Club on things as well. Uh, our first one was about Mommy Dearest. And then in about three weeks time, we're going to be doing The Social Network. That's oh, nice. That's, that's my that's plug. Yeah. We'll include that in the show notes, actually. That's oh, too, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, no. uh, we'll include links there as well. And uh, Rena, what about yourself? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, I am still touring the, um, I should say, big, it, my short film still doing festivals, but then those festivals have been um, cancelling of late. So I expect that we still might be at festivals. This in... is Break Us. Break Us, yes. Um, and apart from that, uh, I am making another short film uh, was supposed to be making it next month, but that might be uh, deferred somewhat till a later date. And then I hope that that short film will get a, a longer lease of life afterwards. And Aoife? Um, so you can get me at the convoluted name of Sweet Oblivion 26 uh, on Twitter and Instagram, um, where I kind of rabble on about stuff and uh, lately been putting up kind of drawings of things quarantine has forced us all to, to entertain ourselves in many different ways <laughs> um, but if you want to see my drawings of my sourdough starter that I still have yet to bake with, I love um, your drawings Aoife I've been really <laughs> enjoying your drawings thank you I'm loving portrait. them your that's, portrait of a sourdough starter literally <laughs> portrait of a sourdough not yet on fire in my oven um, uh, yeah I, I have it that's the kind that's the kind of culture we need <laughs> bit of line drawings for you I, I thought Darren would appreciate that. There you go. Um, so yeah, I'll just... It's the sourdough, sourdough culture. culture I got it. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> but sorry, but anyway. sorry. I have to give him something. Good point, good point. Um, and then I just do, I do a podcast called Get Around To It with my friend Lauren. Um, if you just google us and or just search for us on on itunes or wherever you get your or wherever you get your podcast um or link tree uh we have a link tree uh link as well for it slash get around to it anyway find us there our most recent one is the worst quality one we've recorded yet so if you want to hear a really badly <laughs> recorded zoom call between myself and lauren before oh. we figured out how to really record properly then tune into that uh, that's out every month um and it's on cool. the usual spaces okay. yeah. Careful about horning in on the bad podcast quality market. I think we've got that perfectly. Clear. Oh, guys, I don't know. I think I'm beachy. Yeah. I sound like I'm down a well on this podcast. Oh, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. So it's tricky. Also, sorry, sorry, listeners, and sorry, Darren. I think I only started recording quite a long time into <laughs> this, so there might be a real difference. Oh, I, I think Darren's yeah, a real yeah. victim here. Yeah, I think so. All right. Um... So listeners can find us online, we're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes, wherever good or not so good or questionable audio quality podcasts can be found. Uh, we'll be continuing our world tour next week, uh, taking a trip over to the UK, with the wonderful lads from When Irish Eyes Are Watching. We'll be discussing Guy Ritchie's 2000 epic Snatch, and we're really looking forward to it. We hope you'll join us. Take it easy. Bye. 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 Bye, Darren. I'm going to I'm gonna head off now. Thank you very, Thank you very much, all of you. Thank you. <laughs>